everyone remain calm. Back for more, huh? Oh, yeah. Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. Somebody talk to me! What is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. How long is it going to take for that to spread around the globe? This was all John Hammond's dream. Hold on to your butt. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 285th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we are continuing and completing our extended edition content here from our live stream back in Jurassic June. So like I said, this will be the last edition. This is the finale of all of that content. We decided to go out with a bang and drop everything that's kind of been lingering around into one big, big episode this week. Uh, Today, Tom Jurassic is gonna be doing most of that heavy lifting. He pre-recorded all this stuff a long time ago. It's been so long. Uh, Yeah, it's been like many, many months now. Um, And a lot of these actual conversations that you're gonna hear outside of the first one, uh, they're all just kind of questionnaires, I guess, in a way. Tom basically just asked questions, not necessarily in an interview style, but we decided to throw everything together, edit it kind of in an interview style anyway, Uh, but I think you're going to really enjoy this. We have some really, really fun content. And to kick that off, Tom is going to be discussing uh, the the Jurassic Park and Mr. DNA, Little Golden Books, with the author of those books, Ari Kaplan. So he chats with him, and actually that's uh, he kind of reproduced that episode just so you could have some good audio from that one. And then after that, we're going to hear from Tim over at Collect Jurassic, all about collecting and Jurassic toys. Uh, Tom's also going to be discussing Jurassic art and the community and so much more with Neems, the movie poster guy, you know him. And uh, he also has Ollie from Fanatic, who's going to be chatting all about, you know, creating content with Universal uh, collectibles, all kinds of fun stuff like that. So there is so much in store here from Tom and uh, all the amazing people that he had a chance to chat with for our Jurassic June live stream. But that is not all we have for you today. We also have Jennifer Evans chatting with Sarah, Ashley, and Marie about the Bryce Dallas Howard uh, fan community. And it was such a a fun conversation, uh, just a great conversation. And I'm so glad that they could all get together for the live stream. And now we have that content here for the podcast. I... I really wanted to hear more about a certain section of the fandom because it kind of encompasses, yes, it's larger than just Jurassic, but it is such a big part of Jurassic. I think it encompasses a lot of the fandom here and specifically with the with the Jurassic World audience. So I'm, I'm really excited that they're going to be chatting about Bryce and all of that content. And then we're going to round out the episode with Ben from the Jurassic Park Book Club, along with his wife, Rachel. Uh, he's also got Dan with Jeep 20, Bill with Jeep 35, Phil with Explorer 5, and Gary with Explorer 4, uh, all from the UK JP Motor Pool division. Uh, So that's really cool. I I think there's going to be a ton of really, really fun Jurassic vehicle discussion in there. So please do not miss that one. 
Try not to take up too much of your time here with this intro because, like I said, this is a huge episode. It's very long. Look at the, the timestamp. It's going to be very long. Uh, so please go check out all of our things. Go subscribe over on YouTube. So much content coming out over the past few weeks over on YouTube. Reviews, uh, toy hunts, live streams, so much more. All these uh, live stream replays, the video content. So please go check out all of that stuff. And then this week, we've got so much more on YouTube. But also follow us on TikTok. We're doing some fun stuff over there. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all of those places. But enough of all of that. Let's go ahead and get this episode kicked off with an extended edition of the Innovation Center with Tom Jurassic, where he chats with Ari Kaplan, Tim from Collect Jurassic, Neem's the movie poster guy, and Ollie from Fanatic. If I don't innovate, somebody else will. Due to technical difficulties, all our exhibits are now closed. You are acting like we are engaged in some kind of mad science. And Zara here is going to take great care of you until I'm done working tonight, okay? Bigger, scarier, um, cooler, I believe is the word that you use in your memo. Any incidents? Yeah, six kids in the lost and found, uh, 28 down with heat stroke. All of this exists because of me. Just like taking a stroll through the woods 65 million years ago. Hi everyone, Tom back here with another Innovation Center segment for you. Today's segment is a throwback to our Jurassic June livestream, where I had the opportunity to have a fantastic chat with Ari Kaplan, who wrote both the Jurassic Park Little Golden Book and also Mr. DNA's Book of Dinosaurs. Initially, I wanted to learn more about how Ari approaches writing Little Golden Books, given how distinctive they are for their accessibility to younger fans. Here's what he had to say. Little Golden Books have to be written in a very specific style. There's a very specific type of verbiage that you have to use uh, to make it feel like a Little Golden Book. And then that's only part of it because a lot of it is, you know, only part of it is writing the narration. A lot of it is structuring the story and writing the uh, art notes to the artist, which are sort of akin to the stage directions or um, scene descriptions in a screenplay or a play, you know, which tell the, uh, the actors what to do in any given scene. Um, and, and also describe what the characters look like and what the settings look like and everything. Um, and Little Golden Books have that too. They're just called the art notes. And a lot of writing a Little Golden Book is doing is writing in the, the art notes. Um, you're also, of course, as I said, writing the, the text or the copy or the narration, whatever you want to call it. Um, but a big part of writing a Little Golden Book is writing the art notes. And it's like, it's very much, you have to do it in a concise way where you're not being too verbose. Um, but you're still getting across, you're sort of evoking a kind of a mood. We then moved on to talking about the Jurassic Park Little Golden Book, and how Ari was able to tone down some of the scenes while still capturing the iconic moments from the 1993 film. What happened was, I don't know whether Universal had come to Little Golden Books, or vice versa. I don't know how that works. I don't pretend to be, I'm not in those meetings, you know? Um, but, and I'm just a freelancer, so, you know, I, I don't, I'm not privy to that, but I do know that when, when Little Golden Books came to me and were like, did you, would you like to write 
the Jurassic Park Lowell Oldham book, and I was like, oh, absolutely, yes. Um, but it was a little bit of a challenge because, you know, as opposed to, you know, you could say that there's something adult about Doctor Strange as an IP and that, you know, it's a challenge to write it for little kids, which which it is. Um, and then the sec, I believe the second one I wrote, the second little golden book that I wrote for, for Penguin Random House was, was the Avengers one, which is called The Threat of Thanos, which I, I have somewhere around here. Here it is. And with that one specifically, um, it was, you know, I, I certainly got questions when that was coming out, like, um, is the, is the, is the snap going to be in there? <laughs> Eh, nervous laugh, you know, and it's like, no, the snap is not in here. This is actually an original story that I wrote um, where they asked me to pitch them a few different Avengers ideas. And I, I pitched one and I had pitched like three or four. And the one that they went with is the one that I wrote. Um, and, and then it was like off to the races, but it's, even though it's a bunch of characters who were in infinity war slash Endgame, And even though Thanos is one of those characters and he is trying to collect the infinity stones, He's all that also all that also applies to a lot of the comic books that predated the Avengers comic books that predated uh, Infinity War and, and Endgame. So it's not, you know, it's not an adaptation of those movies, this book. Um, and so it doesn't end with the snap. The snap is not a part of it, because also there's even if it was an adaptation, there is no way to make the snap not horrifying. Um, what I found fascinating about the ending of Infinity War, and spoilers for a movie that's several years old, but, um, is it ends with a snap, and that was, like, a more disturbing thing to me than most horror movies, you know? And it's partially because you don't expect a horror movie be to happen at the end of what is, until that point, a fairly lighthearted superhero movie, even though... The filmmakers do warn you that some scary stuff's coming because it opens with Loki getting killed by Thanos. And again, spoilers for a movie that's several years old. But it's, um, hopefully if you're listening to this, you have seen Infinity War. If not, pause this podcast and go interview and go see Infinity War because it's a really good movie. But, um, but you know, it opens with, with Loki being killed in a pretty disturbing way by Thanos and then Thor's dealing with all this trauma for the next two movies, uh, you know, for, for the balance of Infinity War and then also for Endgame as well. With having, like, half of the Asgardians being wiped out, including a lot of his, his the most beloved people in his life, like Heimdall and, and Loki. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people thought I was trying to turn Infinity War and Endgame into this this book, which I, oh, I was not. Um, this is a different story. I just want to make that clear. Well, with, with Jurassic Park, I was trying to turn um, Jurassic Park, the first Jurassic Park movie, into a book for two to five-year-olds, which is was was quite challenging, but I think that we pulled it off, meaning me and Josh Holdsclaw, the, the illustrator, who's incredible, as you can see from this this artwork on, on there. And, of course, um, the, the editors, uh, you know, Den, Dennis Shealy and um, Rich Kowalski. Um, but... Um, but uh, it was a challenge, but I definitely know I was up to the challenge. And it was basically a question of, okay, I'm going to make a list. And I'm going to make a list of scenes that are in the film. And I'm going to make a list of scenes that are in the film. And I'm going to see 
which ones I think I can adapt for this and where and also how simple I can make the spine of the story because it's already got a pretty simple spine right it's already got a pretty simple spine I'm gonna take out the stuff that doesn't work I'm gonna take out the stuff that there's no way to explain it to a kid so even though Dennis Nedry is a very big part of the movie and even though Dennis Nedry is a very big um, He's, he's pretty much the closest thing that we have to a human antagonist in the first Jurassic Park film. He is pretty much, the, you know, a lot of people think the, the dinosaurs are the antagonists, and they pretty much are, but in that they are definitely an obstacle in the path of our protagonists, you know? Okay? Um, they, are an, a, they are definitely a big obstacle in the path of... Alan and Ellie and, and, you know, and Ian and, and, and the kids and Tim and Lex. And, but that having been said, we do have this human antagonist who you can kind of, who you can reason with because he's a human being with a human personality and that's Dennis. But how do you explain any of the stuff that Dennis is doing on a, on a little golden books level? How do you explain, okay, he's like, <laughs> he's got these dinosaur embryos and he's, he's selling them on the black market. None of that is translatable to like a little golden book story. There's no way you could explain that stuff. What's the black market? What's an embryo? What's like, it's, it's, I can't, there's no way. And so there's everything about him is sleazy and that's on, that's by design. That's the function he fulfills in, in the Jurassic Park movie. Um, however, that's also the exact same reason that I had to strip him out of the, the little golden book version. Cause there was just no way it's just in the little golden book version, the dinosaurs are the antagonists period. And that's it. Well, there's like, you know, certain other characters that like the lawyer, the lawyer for John Hammond's lawyer. <laughs> yeah. I, I know the kids are really dying to see the lawyer character in the little golden book version. <laughs> Uh, spoiler alert, they're not. Um, and also he dies on the toilet, and that's a very funny scene um, in the movie. It's very silly and, and uh, purposeful, uh, silly on purpose in the movie, slash scary, because no one wants to die like that. No one wants to die, period, I don't think, but no one wants to die like that, you know? Um, but I can't put that in the book. It's like, you put in a toilet in the book and for shock value and you know and it's for little kids and they're like mommy daddy why is this happening <laughs> why is what's a lawyer and why is he dying on a, on a porta potty um you know what i mean there's just like stuff that will raise too many questions and also it'll gum up the works it'll get in the way of telling a good story because you're really you have like i think it's like 24 pages that you have to tell this story and there's maybe like 25 27 words that can comfortably fit on each page, all right? And then a lot of these are spreads, or two-page spreads. And so you've still got like 25 words that can fit on each page, but you're trying to do it in as, as few words as possible. You're trying to tell the story. You've got to explain, you've got to explain who Alan Grant, Ellie Sattler, and Malcolm are in the most concise way possible. You've got to explain who John Hammond is in the most uh, concise way possible. You've got to explain what how they brought dinosaurs back to life how they uh, not brought them they weren't dead dinosaurs that they somehow t 
turn into zombies or anything. But how the, how do they how do they do this? How do they create new dinosaurs? How do they create them from DNA? What is DNA? You know, um, how do they do that? You have to unpack that in the most kid-friendly way possible. And that's the biggest challenge about writing a book like that, honestly, or about writing that book in particular. And also you're taking a fairly adult property. Again, I said it was like, it's like your, your first horror movie if you're a kid of a certain age. But let's be clear, this is mostly a movie for adults. And it's got some very adult jokes and relationships and everything. And again, that's not un, that's not a bad thing. It's not a slam against the movie, but it does make it a little bit of a challenge uh, in how how exactly you're going to turn this into a little golden book, you know. And that that's basically the challenge there. But you basically approach it like you approach any other project. If you're me, because I work on a lot of licensed character books and and video games, and um, and comics too. And you like approach it like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to do this, and I'm going to. I'm going to figure out, and part of it was also like taking scenes that are kind of scary from the book and figuring out how I can lighten them up and make them lighthearted and fun and even slapsticky and comical in the movie, you know, um, in the, in the little golden book. So like the scene of where Tim and Lex are, I think they're in the, um, they're in the kitchen at the visitor center. I think they're at the visitor center at that point, right? Yeah, they are. They're at the kitchen, yeah. And I'm like, I'm flipping through this as I'm talking to you, so I'm making sure that it's... Yes, they, they, I, I do say in the book that they're at the visitor center because I want the reader to, like, follow along with me and, like, I want to be very clear as to where we are on Jurassic Park in this scene and everything. And they're in the cabinets, and there's that scene where, like, the raptors are, are coming to get them and they see what they think is Lex, but it's really Lex's... Uh, reflection in the mirrored surfaces of the cabinets, right? Because it's all, they're all made of metal. And they see what they think is Lex and they run towards her and then boom, they, they run into a wall. It's almost like a Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner cartoon, you know? Um, and I thought, okay, this, that scene um, is very, very suspensefully directed by Steven Spielberg. And it's a very it's a very suspenseful scene. It's an almost like Hitchcockian scene in the movie. But it's also kind of funny because, you know, the dinosaur was outwitted by its own um, lack of understanding of, of, of basic like laws of physics and, and the way mirrors work and everything. And the fact that it was just looking at a, a mirror, um, it feels like a human assassin, like gunning for Lex, you know. That human assassin would be like, wait a minute, I think that's just a, I think that's just a reflection in the mirror. I don't think that's, but dinosaurs don't ha can't logic that out. So, you know, but that's what makes the scene work. But what um, makes it work in the little golden book version is that you can actually put a lot of slapstick, a lot of sort of wily e. coyote style slapstick in that scene, and make it work. And then, bam, it was just a reflection. Ha ha ha! You know what I mean. You could turn it into like a very silly slapstick-heavy moment. Um, so you draw out the, the comedy that's already there from the scene in the in in the version of it that that exists in the movie, and then you but then you also strip out all the suspense that's in that that version of the scene in the movie, um, and so you're kind of doing two things at once, uh, and you're you're basically trying to do that with everything. You're thinking like if I was like 
you're using your own like mental wayback machine to um uh, for those of you like like uh was it rocky and bullwinkle or is it uh i can't remember what is the wayback machine is not from walking it's and lost on me <laughs> it's, it's, it's from sherman and mr peabody thanks okay. thomas <laughs> thanks for remembering that <laughs> old ass cartoon that makes me sound old because i'm referencing it i'm 900 years old kids anyway um but you know you're basically using your own mental wayback machine or time machine or whatever yeah. to um to think okay when i was a kid what would i have what what about this story would appeal to me so, like, when they find the Triceratops and she's sick and Ellie is tending to her, you obviously you obviously focus on that and the fact that kids are going to be sympathetic because uh, it's a dinosaur and it's injured. And you're supposed to be sympathetic. You're supposed to have a lot of empathy for that dinosaur in the movie. But what you don't include is the giant pile of dinosaur excrement right next to it where Ian Malcolm is like, ah, that's a lot of shit. You know, you don't have that... <laughs> You don't have that in the little gold book, so that's so that's a that's a good example. That and, and the scene in the visitor center with the, with the mirrored uh, countertops are are good scene good examples of like scenes that you tweak a bit. You include them in the book, but you in the little gold book version, but you kind of tweak them a little bit. You know what I mean? And that's kind of that's kind of the trick. That's a large part of the trick to, to writing something like this. The other thing is um, the dinosaurs are always trying to eat all these people. And in some cases they do eat aren't the different character, the human characters in, in the movie. They at very least kill them. I mean, Dennis Nedry, we don't see him die, but we do see like a dinosaur, like lunging at him. <laughs> and that's the last thing in him going, ah, you know, and that's the last thing we see of him. So it's implied that he's just been, been murdered, you know, by the dinosaur. So in that, I was like, how do we deal with that? And then it came to me that, uh, oh, a big overall global fix for this is that instead of the dinosaurs trying to eat them in the book, in the little golden book, they're just roaring at them. So once I realized that you could do that, it might not sound like it's like brain surgery or anything, like it's this big like epiphany, but it, for me at the time it was because once I realized that, it made writing certain other things in the book much easier because I was like, oh, you can just sort of blanket over all this violence by saying that you just like it's you're using like a pencil eraser to like erase it, like get rid of it. And you're getting rid of the violence and just saying that they're roaring at our characters because to a little kid, that's scary enough. Yeah. You know? Um, it's like, oh, I don't want a dinosaur roaring at me. And you don't. And an adult doesn't want a dinosaur roaring at them. But it's for a different reason. Because with, with an adult, the, the, they know that the dinosaur will follow up the roaring by, you know, gobbling you up and, and eating you. Or doing to, like, like in, oh, God, in the first Jurassic World movie, how there's that, that, that poor lady. She's like, she yeah. breaks down Howard's personal assistant. So and, uh, this has been trending on Twitter recently with people really angry about how she literally gets like picked up and tormented by a pteranodon and then just when it's over the Mosasaur comes out Mosasaur. and finishes her off. <laughs> yeah. And I was re-watching that when I was writing the the Mr. DNA's book of dinosaurs, and I was like, well, at least the Mosasaurus in this book doesn't do that. <laughs> and, it's like, and again, this is nothing against the filmmakers. If I was writing a scene like that, I would probably go there too because you got to 
you got to top the dinosaur kills from the previous movies, and the audience sure hasn't seen anything like that before. Because she sort of dies three times. She gets like, yeah. she gets like, like it's like the dinosaurs are playing a game of like volleyball, and they're like volleying her. She's the ball, and they're volleying her from like <laughs> yeah. one dinosaur to the other to the other, you know. And so, uh, yeah. Uh, you can't include something like that in the book. There's no way to do it, you know. But I think that's I think that it was very smart of Penguin Random House and Universal to do something like to to like commission something like the the Jurassic Park Little Old Book because they know that there's a whole generation that grew up on that movie that now when when they were kids they saw the movie yeah. and now they're parents themselves and so they can read the book to their kids. And they could reminisce about it, and it's got the nostalgia factor to it. Um, and then the kids, this is their like first experience to Jurassic Park, and they see the 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 G-rated kid-friendly version that's in this book. And then when they're old enough, they'll watch the the PG-13 live-action version that's for grown-ups. You know what I mean? And yeah, and they can like this is a way to like ease them into it. And so I think it's a very savvy thing of like for local books and, and Penguin Random House to do, you know. Um... After diving deep into classic Jurassic, we spoke more about modern Jurassic 2, and crucially how the concept for Mr. DNA's Book of Dinosaurs came about. Get ready for some amazing Mr. DNA impressions in this segment. In general, each of these books is a challenge, and I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about it because I'm not. But it is it is a challenge as to like okay how how do you tackle this um, because again you have a set number of pages and a set number of words to work with and so you have to you have to make it work within those those confines um, but you know it's always it's always a lot of fun tackling those challenges and figuring it out um, with like I said with with the Jurassic Park Little Golden Book the main challenge was how do you turn a fairly adult movie into action movie into a book that's suitable for two to five-year-olds with this one the challenge was a little bit twofold it was first of all how do you structure it um because there's you get a little bit more into the weeds as far as like what dna is and how these dinosaurs are created by dna and so you have to explain that on a little bit more of a deeper level then you explain it in uh, the Jurassic Park little golden book. But also another challenge is I have to replicate the way Mr. DNA talks because all the narration is done in his voice. So that was a lot of fun too. And it was one of those things where I really, I, I kind of look for these challenges in my career because it's like, oh, because if I, if I do it right, I'm going to look like a freaking genius. So I, I'm going to just work as hard as I can. So a lot of it was like, so first I wrote down I looked at the Mr. DNA scene from the first Jurassic Park movie and I watched it over and over and over again, just broke down, transcribed everything he said, um, and then made notes on like, what are the red flags? Like, what are the things that are going to be difficult to replicate in this book? Like, for example, oh, here, here's a really good one. He doesn't say dinosaur. He says, dinosaurs. So... Dinosaur has three syllables, but the way he says it, it has four syllables. You know, he's a dinosaurs. 
you know, but you can't, there's no way to replicate that in the book unless you're going into like Mark Twain style dialect territory, you know, where you're, you're like, where you, you're having the, let's see, it'll be like D-I-N-O-S-A-W-E-R-S or something like that to, to really make it sound like the way he says it. But if you do that, you're confusing the little kids excuse me, you're confusing the little kids who are reading this book because they're going to be like dinosaurs? Are they called dinosaurs? Or is this how you spell dinosaurs? Or, you know, it's just going to confuse them because they're not at that level, at that age, like I said, they're not independent readers. They're certainly not going to read any, any books that have dialect in them, that have like a strong, that are written in dialect. You know what I mean? Um, so you can't subject them to that. So... I can't, so I can't, a lot, that's one of the most kind of southern things that Mr. DNA says, because he talks like an old, like a cowboy in an old west movie, you know, in an old like western, the kind of Hollywood would put out in like the 30s and 40s and 50s, and that's the whole idea, is that he's supposed to be like, you know, one of those, one of those educational film strips that like, teachers would show to kids in the fifties. He's supposed to be like a throwback, like a parody of that. Right. Um, and so I wanted to keep that quality and put as many like cowboyisms as possible in his dialogue without having to write dialect, you know? So he could call a cow, he could call a dinosaur like a big galoot or a cowpoke or something like that. That's something you could write in like non- dialect English that's not misspelled, you know, um, so it wouldn't be an issue. You can't do the dinosaurs thing, he just has to say dinosaurs, but you can have him call a, a, di a dinosaur, a specific dinosaur, like a cowpoke or a big galoot or something, or, or have him say like, well, golly, or something like that. Um, so that, those are the kinds of words I would, I'd make like lists of these, these like cowboy type words like westernisms or cowboyisms that I could give to Mr. DNA and like ones that I thought were taking it too far or ones that I thought were appropriate. You know, I put in the ones that I thought were appropriate and it was a lot of like swapping them out like this. What would I have him say about this dinosaur? What would I have him say about the Mosasaurus? And also you've got to constantly remind the reader that this is a tour through Jurassic world as though the, and this is something that is either Dennis Shealy or Rachel Klebowski, I think it was Dennis who said this when I was working on this book, that was like, imagine that the reader is in, like, one of those cars, carts, like, in, a, in an amusement park ride, and they're going, like, the cart is going from exhibit to exhibit in Jurassic World. You know what I mean? Like, keep your, keep your hands inside the cart at all times, like one of those, you know what I mean? At a theme park. And... So I'd have to constantly be reminding the player, I'm sorry, the player, I work a lot in video games, the reader, I'm talking about books now, I'm talking about that part of my career. Um, you'd have to constantly remind the reader that, that they're in an amusement park ride. Um, and so it was cool because it's, uh, it's in a way like writing in world fiction because you're very much in the world of the, the, the movies. Um, when you're writing something like this, you're writing it from the perspective of like 
if there was a ride where Mr. DNA was taking you through Jurassic World from exhibit to exhibit, from this part of the park to this part of the park, his dialogue that, that would probably go something like this. So I approached it as though I was writing like in-world fiction, you know? Um, because like the for most for most local books, they're not written like that. They're written very much you're you're writing them and you're sort of removed from the world that they take place and you're not writing them as though you're in the world and that, again that's not a bad thing that's just it's just the way it is um with this book for example you know you're writing the narrator is very much removed from the events going on the narrator is not part of the events going on you know yeah but with this and then the same is true of the jurassic park little book too but with this you're in it you're you know what I mean? There's like, here, I'll show you a good example. Um, yeah, here you go. I got it. Um, lucky you, we're just in time for the Mosasaurus feeding show. Stand back unless you want to get splashed. So, like, that kind of stuff, you know, uh, giving him lines like lucky you and, and like, it contributes to, like, that's one of the, like, the cowboyisms I uh, got. Uh, the way he would talk. Um, I almost thought about, like, that he kind of sounds like Jack McBrayer. He kind of sounds like Kenneth from 30 Rock, if you know that show at all. Yeah. Um, so, like, almost imagine that I was writing for that character. Like, how would Kenneth from 30 Rock walk you through Jurassic World? Um, but the idea of having him say, like, we're just in time for the Mosasaurus feeding show. Stand back unless you want to get splashed. Like, that very much sets up that you're that establishes that you're in, you're in the Jurassic world. Uh, you're in the world of Jurassic world for lack of a better way of saying it. You're, you're like in the car, you're in one, or you're in one of those, um, shoot, I can't remember. You're in one of those gyrospheres, yeah. you know? Um, and you're just like, you're just like barreling your way through the park. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. Um, oh yeah. Here you go. Like the, this large reptile lived in the ocean. She weighs about as much as a motorhome. See those sharp teeth? Those are what she uses to chow down on smaller sea creatures. Now, it might not sound like much, but just the fact that, uh, that I put that word choice in there, chow down, is like very much like a Westernism or a Cowboyism. So that was, much, that was very much part of that like big list that I drew up while I was writing this of like expressions that I could use. Like some were, I thought, taking it too far, but some were just right. And that was one, one where I thought it was just right. You know, um, like here, here's another, this isn't a cowboyism, but this is another thing to remind you that you're in the world of the park. This is the Triceratops. These fantastic creatures only eat plants and they live in herds. Go ahead and wave to the baby Triceratops. So see, you're waving from your, the cart that you're in or the gyrosphere or whatever. You know, or one of those little like jeeps that they have in the first movie, in the first Jurassic Park movie. You know, the the stuff that the tourists, the visitors use. Um, but go ahead and wave, reminding you again that you're in the park. But also, you'll you'll notice that there's a couple of actual facts about these dinosaurs in each page or each spread. So it, in a way, those are real facts. Those are true. I, the Mosasaurus, like here. Um, Anyway, the Mosasaurus is does weigh about as much of a, as a motorhome, um, and those facts were a little uh, bit of a challenge too, because you had to find facts that were very simple, and that were sort of comparing 
the size and shape and weight of these dinosaurs to everyday objects, but everyday objects that a two to five year old would be familiar with. So like a school bus or a motor home or a football field or something like that, you know? Um, and so those, those were, so I had to look up a lot of sci uh, scientific, serious scientific articles about dinosaurs and their basic stats. Um, and then like sort of boil it down to something that a two to five year old could handle. And that was like cloaked in like metaphors and similes, like weighs as much as a football field. This is kind of like, you know what I mean? So like that, um, or as, as, as big as a football field or something, um, I don't know what a football field weighs, but it's as big as a football field, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's that kind of a thing. So that, that was part of it too. And then the other strand of writing, uh, the other element of writing this book was also, of the Mr. DNA's Book of Dinosaurs was also that I will, I don't know if this was my idea or Dennis and Rachel's idea. I don't remember, but it was, I think it might've been theirs, but I don't recall, but it was writing it, in order, in the order that you go through the park. So I had to study all these maps of yeah. Jurassic World, specifically Jurassic World, not Jurassic Park. Did you um, get to see the difference with the lagoon in the maps by any chance? Where it's like at one point it's in the middle of the island, and then suddenly it's on the coast in the Fallen Kingdom map. Oh, is that true? Yeah. <laughs> what is the reason for that? I think it was just an inconsistency in the film that made it through to the final cut, but. In Fallen Kingdom, obviously, you've got the gates that open out into the ocean, so they needed mm -hmm. to have it there to make that sequence happen. Oh, okay. Um, oh, that's funny. I didn't, I didn't notice that. Um, but I think the reason I didn't notice that was because the maps that I studied were largely from, like, other tie-in books, yeah. you know, of, of, like, Jurassic World. And those were extraordinarily helpful because it was, like, Oh, oh, here's the Galoomus Valley, and here's the aviary, and here's the, you know what I mean? Here's the raptor, is the raptor pen? Is that what it's called? Yeah. I can't remember. Um, you know what I mean? And, and like, here's here's where everything is, and here's, so we're going to want to go in order of that. We're going to do the Galoomus Valley here, and we're going to do this here, and we're going to do that there, and the aviary, we don't get to the aviary to re relatively late in the game, because that's close to the end of the tour, so to speak, you know? Um, that's like fairly like towards the exits, you know, so we don't talk about pteranodons and that kind of stuff. And, and also how do we like, just how do you unpack this for kids? Like the, with the Ankylosaurus, it was a bit of a challenge until I came up with this. It was like the Stegosaurus is one tough cookie. See, again, calling, calling her a tough cookie is like, sounded like a very much like a cowboyism, but if any predators threaten her, she swings her spiky tail like a sword. And like a turtle, the Ankylosaurus uses a protective shell as a shield against other dinosaurs. She's also got a heavy club tail, and she can use it to clobber hungry predators. So, so clobber is another cowboyism. But also, once I this was like I was trying to think of like what do I say about the Stegosaurus's tail versus the Ankylosaurus's shell? Um, because I was like. If I'm not careful, I'm going to sound like I'm saying the same thing twice because they both have tails. Yeah. I'm going to say something about the Stegosaurus tail and then the Ankylosaurus tail, and they both have like things on their backs where the Stegosaurus has plates. Do I mention that? And the Ankylosaurus has spikes. And then I realized, oh, here's 
exactly what it is. The metaphor is that the stegosaurus has a, a sword-like tail, and the ankylosaurus has a sh has a shield-like shell. So it's like a sword and a shield. It's like yeah. a medieval knight paradigm. So it shows how they complement each other as well. So exactly. And once I came up with that, I was like, it just clicked, clicked into place, and I was like, oh, that's a good metaphor, and that's a good, you know, because it makes little kids think of like a knight in shining armor, like a sword and a shield, you know. Um, but it, so you're sort of always looking for that, like how to boil it down on like a little kid, a, a young reader's level, of like, but a very, very small child level, you know. Um, you're not trying to get too into the weeds, but you're trying to actually say things that are scientifically accurate, but you're saying it in a way that they can digest it, you know. And, and that's also in Mr. DNA's voice. So there's a few sort of balls that you're juggling while you're writing something like this, but I think it... It came out really well, and again, I have to say, like, Paul Davis, that's with a Z at the end, D-A-V-I-Z, um, he did an incredible job in the artwork, and it, it even looks like that sort of, like, 1950s animation style that was very popular in, like, late 50s and early 60s on TV shows, like, like the early Flintstones had this sort of art style, um, and, like, like the, uh, like also the the UPA cartoons like um, uh, Gerald McBoing Boing and stuff like that and and also like Rocky and Bullwinkle and th those kinds of cartoons and Sherman and Mr Peabody that I was referencing earlier so see it all comes full circle um, but it does have that like fifties and sixties very like uh, that that sort of design sense that that was very rooted in the fifties and sixties that you saw in a lot of children's books from that era and you certainly saw in a lot of television animation from that era and advertising art from that era. And it's very clean um, design-wise, graphically, and very bold at the same time, too, you know? Yeah. Like, a lot of basic, simple geometric shapes and stuff. And and it, it just works for Mr. DNA, because that's what he's a parody of, you know? Lastly, I asked Ari if he had a message that he wanted to leave with Jurassic fans, especially because this was originally recorded for Jurassic June. Look, I take a lot of pride in writing these books, as I said earlier. I feel a very big sense of responsibility because I'm the, while I'm writing these books, I'm like the, t the temporary custodian of these characters, of these IP. And so I feel a lot of responsibility to, to get it right and to do a good job and do right by the licensors, by the, the, uh, the rights holders, and also do right by the fans, obviously. And so hopefully... That's what I've done. Um, but it's also just like, honestly, as a, as an author and as a parent, I just, I take children's literature and children's books seriously because I think that there's, there's a great tradition of, uh, of children's books in, in all over the world that there's, if you go back, whether it's like L. Frank Baum's, um, Oz books or, um, you know, the Jam Batteries, Peter Pan, or Morris Sundex books, or any, you know what I mean? Um, any any number of, of children's books over, over the Madeline Langle's Wrinkle, Wrinkle in Time, or, or anything. Um, there's such a, a great, rich tradition of children's literature to draw from when you're writing children's books today. And when you are writing them today, you feel like you're certainly a link in that chain, you're a part of that tradition. Um and so I, I guess the one thing I'd say to, first of all, to, um, to 
Penguin Random House and Little Golden Books and Universal um, and to the fans is thank you for letting me be a part of this uh, series and this franchise and, and this IP and thank you for letting me tell stories uh, and uh, hopefully I've done a good job of it because uh, it, was, it was great fun and I, I love man it feels so good to have the final product in your hand and be like this is what all the hard work was leading up to and um you know, it's these books are very special to me. So, first question I had for you. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you got into Jurassic and what your first memory of the franchise is? Hey everyone, it's Tim. So, my first memory of the Jurassic franchise uh, and, and incidentally, kind of what got me into the franchise, uh, my mom had bought me a Dennis Nedry action figure back in 1993. I remember coming home and it was on the kitchen table. And I didn't even really like, I mean, I liked dinosaurs as much as any other kid. Um, but uh, here was this action figure with this guy whose arms ripped off and he had a little tiny baby Dilophosaurus. Um, and shortly after that, she got me the, the Dimetrodon. Uh, and I was just totally enraptured in this cool packaging with the Jurassic Park yellow logo and the black and the, you know, again, the arms ripping off. I was like, what is this? Uh, I was so into it. And then it just kind of uh, took off from there. So I'm going to skip over my next question, because my next question was, when did you start collecting Jurassic no. memorabilia? But Sorry. obviously Sorry. the two are interwoven, so it's yeah. all good. Um, so we're going to jump into how was Collect Jurassic born and where did the sure. idea for that platform come from? So Collect Jurassic uh, came about because I've always really been into, obviously, collecting Jurassic toys. And, you know, uh, growing up, I was always on the internet tracking news for toy news. And we had great websites like jptoys.com. Um, but sort of this new age of social media and all that. Uh, you know, I'm still collecting a lot, um, getting into Mattel when, it's, when they started to do Jurassic World. I was really, I was really craving like minute to minute updates, right? And you got these websites for Transformers and for Star Wars and for G.A. Joe that, that really like, you know, um, really track all that collecting stuff all the you know reveals and leaks and where to find it in store and what upc to look up all that all that nitty-gritty collector stuff all these websites for these other franchises uh but there was nothing for jurassic um and i was already kind of doing the the legwork to gather this information for myself so i kind of just took my instagram that was already about jurassic collecting and you know got fine folks like yourself involved tom um and, uh, you know, a couple other people to help out and, and round it out. And, uh, yeah, it's been, I don't know, two, two going on three years and it's been super fun. And, uh, and, uh, it's just nice to, to share this hobby with everybody and, and hopefully like get more and more people involved and excited. Cause that's what it's all about. Like when you really get into it and you're like tracking every update and every, you know, new picture, like it just gets people more excited versus just, you know, finding stuff in store blindly. So that's what it's all about. And that's how it got started. Sweet. Right. So um, obviously you've done a lot of different things since starting Collect Jurassic. I mean, one of the highlights is probably, I want to say it was Toy Fair. It might have been Comic Con, but I think it was Toy Fair. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. other different things. So do you have a favorite thing like that or it could be something else that you've got to do since collect jurassic was born 
So over the course of Collect Jurassic, uh, obviously I've got uh, to do a lot of cool stuff, talk about a lot of cool stuff. Definitely going to Toy Fair uh, for a couple of years. Uh, obviously last year was was uh, called off due to COVID, but beyond that, uh, you know, going to Toy Fair is always always an amazing experience. Um, I love getting some of the uh, you know some of the stuff that Mattel sends out um, for for you know uh, content creators to use that they make some killer packages sometimes like this last one with scorpius rex was really cool but um honestly my favorite part of uh of of sort of doing collect jurassic is just um networking with people meeting people making friends um it's it's like the list goes on and on for people that i've met and connected with all over the world you know tracking toy news importing toys early because i'm impatient um I, that's just been so fun uh, to kind of have that outlet and, and just make friends. Uh, you know, internet friends are, are just as good as real life friends. And, and with something like Collect Jurassic, I've made so, so many. And that's that's so much fun. Um, so obviously, over the course of doing Collect Jurassic and collecting yourself beforehand, you have learned a lot about how the system works and how things like releases work, where you can track them, all of that kind of stuff. So what kind of tips would you have for other Jurassic collectors who are looking at tracking down uh, specific toys or specific pieces of memorabilia? So tips for collectors. I have probably so much stuff I could share. I could go on and on and on and on. But um, the first one, and I swear this is not just like a shameless plug. I'm, I'm being serious. Uh, follow Collect Jurassic or head to the Collect Jurassic website. It's a great way. Um, you know, I think we hit all the major beats for um, announcements and, and, and store sightings and all that stuff. And, and again, not a shameless plug. It just surprises me when I'm in like a Facebook group and someone's like, I didn't know there was an Amber Collection Hammond coming out. And it's like, you would have known if you followed so it's a good way to stay in the know. Again, not a shameless plug. But other than that, you know, I highly recommend just getting connected with this community, um, not just following Collect Jurassic, but being friends with other collectors, following people on whatever social media you're in, or if you're in a Discord, or, you know, there's so much stuff out there to, to, to help you stay in the know. And I think that's what it's all about is just um, everyone sharing information and sharing what they found and sharing what they like about a certain toy. Um, that That's... That's my biggest tip for getting enjoyment out of this hobby is, is connecting with the community. So since it's behind you, talk us through your collection and what's the logic in the display that you've got set up? So uh, yeah, this giant display around behind me, uh, what's the, the method I go for, um, especially with Mattel, all right? So Mattel dinosaurs, you have a lot of different silhouettes. You have a lot of different colors. Um, when I put myself on display, that's what I like most about the Mattel figures is that they look so good all next to each other. I try to mix them up. Um, obviously, this latest setup behind me, I had the the uh, you know the opportunity to like have everything on the floor and then like put it up one by one versus like adding stuff as I get them because that happens too. Um, but I really just try to mix things up so I you know I, I don't have a bunch of blue dinosaurs next to each other. I try to mix the ceratopsians and like the sauropods, you know, kind of get everything balanced in there. Um, but I feel like I do a good job. People are always like, wow, that looks so good. Um, I also really like these shelves that I don't know if you can tell in this video, but they don't have like walls in between. So like dinosaur tails can go through them. Like I highly recommend open sided shelves um, to, to get the most out of these long dinosaurs. Otherwise it's really hard to, to fit them all on a shelf. So um, yeah, I just like to put them on display for the occasional person who's in my house. And they're always like, 
oh my gosh, I can't tell if they're impressed or terrified, but, um, but I like putting them on display. <laughs> so I, I also would like you to talk a little bit more about toy content creation specifically. So obviously you do videos and you also dabble with toy photography. So mm -hmm. how do you approach those things? What do you think about when you're making videos firstly, and then also taking photographs? So as a toy content creator, self-appointed toy content creator, um, you know, I've experimented with a lot of different content types. I got, you know, reviews on YouTube, different kinds of reviews, really in-depth ones, really quick ones, um, you know, podcasting, uh, news articles, mostly social media posts. Um, and my whole thought process behind that, honestly, to be brutally honest, is uh, time management for me. Um, collect Jurassic can be a very busy thing. Like I could probably spend my entire work week if I wanted to making content for it, but I do have other responsibilities. So for me, when I sit down to make content um, on any given day or week, I really have to to make the most of my time, kind of figure out what, you know, what, where am I going to get the most bang for my buck here? Is it going to be, you know, updating the website with like new packaging photos of, of Dino Escape figures, or is it going to be like pumping out a quick one take review video because um, I don't have time to film a bunch of B-roll, you know how it is. Um, you know, so I, I really try to sit back and think about how can I make the most of the, you know, two or three hours I have um, to uh, to make content. But really, I just like to do stuff that, um, that you know, that isn't out there, like for toy photography. There's so many awesome toy photographers and, um, you know, I don't consider myself one of them, but I, I don't want to copy them either. So uh, I always try to do something fun in my head, you know, something with a little bit of head cannon. I'm big into that too. So uh, I just like to have fun and I like to um, use my time wisely. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't like to, um, you know, waste my time making a review that's going to take four hours to export when I could do four small reviews in the time. So it's all about, you know, time management. Yeah, this is going to be hard. I'm going to limit it to 2021. So you've only got six months to think through. What's your favorite Jurassic toy you've got this year? All right, 2021, our favorite Jurassic toy. Let me think about this. Um, Cause we've got a lot. We got some Dino Escape. We got some Primal Attack. We got some pretty cool Camp Cretaceous stuff. Um, I have, a, I have some things behind me that I haven't opened yet that I, I think I'm going to love. Um, I, I'm, I'm eyeing this uh, car chart dinosaurus. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, that one looks cool, but I haven't opened it. So I can't say that it's my favorite right now. So I'm gonna go with the, um, this is toys I have in my hands. If I had an Explorer right now, I would probably be like, oh, the Explorer is my favorite thing, but I don't have it in my hands right now. So I have the toys I own and have opened and have been like, you know, kind of had a chance to experience or, or play with um, the, the, my favorite one is definitely the stomp and escape T-Rex with the capture gear and the stomping feet and the darker paint coloration. It is just, I mean, Mattel's T-Rexes just get better and better. And I love that one. So that's probably my favorite one this year. But when the Explorer comes out in America, I'm probably gonna be like, oh no, this is my favorite, so. So I'm gonna hit you with an even harder question now. So you see it's Tommy Fish coming in with all of these media level hard questions here. <laughs> Tim, brace yourself. Do you have a favorite collectible of all time? All right. Favorite collectible of all time is a very tough question for me to answer because I have so many favorites. Um, I, I, I don't just collect Mattel. Obviously, I collect a lot of vintage Jurassic. Um, and just off the top of my head, I have a, an awesome sideshow collectibles. Uh, it's called 
uh, I think it's called the T-Rex Showdown statue. It's a big statue. Uh, came out during what I call the Jurassic Dark Ages from Jurassic Park 3 to Jurassic World where like no merchandise ever came out. They came out with the statue. Um, very limited edition. Probably one of my favorites, one of my prized possessions. Um, but I have some other uh, killer stuff I love too. The pencil case um, from the 90s that's just literally a yellow plastic suitcase with the Jurassic Park logo. But when I was a kid, I always like pretended it was like some sort of like, you know, DNA briefcase, stuff like that, that really has a memory for me. Um, I love that stuff. So uh, it's definitely more of my collect favorite collectibles are vintage oriented. Um, and there's some great ones, but that statue is probably like one of my prized possessions. So we have two more questions to go. Gotcha. I think this one's going to be quite fun. So I've, I've used Mattel as an example, but you can think about other companies like Lego as well, for example. Um, what do you hope to see companies with the Jurassic license make more of in the future? So you could give a few different answers if you want, i.e. you could say Lego more classic sets, yeah, that kind exactly. of stuff. So there's a lot of different Jurassic licensee holders right now, and I think they'll probably be even more closer to Dominion. We have uh, Mattel, obviously. We got Lego. We have uh, Jada. Uh, we have Toy Monster. Um, and I, I love them all to just um, continue to look back at the franchise and kind of, there's a lot of, of like untapped merch potential. I, not, I know they have an obligation to do the contemporary films that are in theaters, but I mean, I would say, you know, day in and day out, people are requesting Lost World stuff, you know, whether it's vehicles or characters or dinosaur designs. I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see Lego. I, I, they've given us, basically two classic sets if you count the gates um and and they have this awesome uh you know the the raptor uh, and the embryo storage chamber set like that's such a cool set so i'd love to see more of those classic jurassic sets from mattel i'd love to see more legacy lost world that kind of stuff and for jada i'd love again for them to kind of explore lost world and jurassic park for for vehicles um and 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 even toy monster i'd love to see them kind of hit up some vintage designs and and uh honestly toy monster um you know their captives line is incredible i would love to see them do anything so um i'd, I'd like to see them continue to explore jurassic toys in general okay so lastly it's jurassic june so what message would you like to leave with jurassic fans for jurassic june so Jurassic fans, for Jurassic June, I'm going to echo something I said earlier in the stream about, you know, the best way, in my opinion, to enjoy this franchise we all love and uh, this fandom that we're all in is to connect with the community, which is what's awesome about uh, J-Pod and, you know, this, this Jurassic June stream. Like, it's all about bringing people together and sort of, you know, highlighting stuff we like about the community. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a, fun, a fun fandom to be a part of, and it's always different. There's always something new happening, um, always some new content from someone. And that's, again, what I love the most about it. So Drastic June, Drastic fans, get out there, make friends, um, you know, support each other, all that good stuff, because uh, that's where the fun is at. That was a perfect note to end that on. Thank you, Tim. Talk a little bit about your history with the franchise. Where did your love for Jurassic begin? I would say my love for Jurassic began in 1994 when the VHS came out and I got to see the movie for the first time with my dad. 
Uh, I remember going to Kmart and buying the VHS. I begged my mom, please, please, can I watch this dinosaur movie? I remember looking at the back of the box. I was three, mind you, and people, a lot of people are like, you don't remember that. I remember it clear as day. I don't know why. It's one of the memories that has stuck with me. Um, and then I came home that night and watched Jurassic with my dad. And my dad went on a trip to Japan a couple of weeks later. He came back with a Velociraptor, a T-Rex, a Triceratops, all from the original Kenner line, but the Japanese versions, because he figured I'm in Japan. He really liked the movie. Here's some toys. And that's where all this <laughs> started. So um, I think that's where my love for Jurassic started. Cool, I like that. I like that it's a family affair as well. That's really nice it's and really wholesome. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did your background with art and design work specifically come about as well? So when did you kind of start experimenting with artwork for the first time? I would say my art started or my like graphic design passion. I have a passion for graphic design like that meme. Um, <laughs> I think that started in 2003 when I was 13. Um, my junior high actually had a class. It was like a trial class for kids that wanted to try digital art and Photoshop. And I think it was like CS one or two back then. That's how old I am. Uh, and I loved it. And I remember passing the class. I still have the CD with like <laughs> 20 megabytes worth of Photoshop files, which is nothing these days. And that's where it started was that class. And I never stopped. I'm sat here like I'm sure I started with CS6 or maybe CS5 and that's it. <laughs> I was very young when that happened. <laughs> um, so what was the first thing that inspired you to dive into poster art for movies in particular? Was there a particular sequence or an image which you saw that you thought would make a great poster? Honestly, I think it was, I always like movie posters and this is embarrassing, but I used to make music video movie posters for like Britney Spears and like all these other artists as like fan art. And I would turn the music video into a movie poster. And the funny thing about that is now is I'm doing that for real, for real artists. Um, but the exciting thing with that is when Jurassic World started to come about, I was like, why am I not doing this for Jurassic? Just for fun. And I actually posted something on Twitter the other day that was my first poster that I created for Jurassic World. And it's kind of embarrassing. Um, the layout's kind of okay, but the execution, not so much. And there's like a big futuristic city on the bottom. And I use like concept art from Jurassic World instead of the actual art. I don't know what I was thinking. And I think that's what inspired me was all the old VHS covers, and the DVD covers from Jurassic and all that just all that kind of goes together into making the art that I make now. I looked at that when you posted it the other day and I was like, oh great, that's kind of what my standard is right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, that, and it just goes to show like I thought I was the coolest thing back then and now I look back I'm like, and that happens with all my art. I go back through my Instagram, I'm like, what were you thinking or what is that? You know, and I try to be better every day, so. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that with toy photography a lot. I look back and I'm like, what is this angle? What were you doing? <laughs> and I really like your toy, like the toy photography that you do. I used to do toy, toy photography a lot and I don't do it anymore. You would yeah. think with all this, I would. And maybe one day I do it sometimes, like come out of my shell, but not so much anymore. I always I remember actually the shot you got from the Lost World emulating Eddie's death. Or oh, yeah. 
I think it was Eddie's death you did over that or yeah. um the vehicle with the headlights on. That yeah. was so cool with like I actually took that in the rain. I was like, it's raining right now and there's mud and I have these two T Rexes in this car. Let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not like that. If it's raining here, I'm like, oh I'll, I'll green screen, it's fine. <laughs> um so what in your opinion is it that makes a good Jurassic poster? That's a very difficult question because I've seen artists do like really weird takes on Jurassic and there's some days where I do like my usual thing and then there's some days where I just do something that's so not Jurassic but it's a Jurassic poster. I think what makes a Jurassic poster is that Amblin feeling if you know what I mean it's like the ETs and Jaws and Back to the Futures and Jurassics but it's that like blue moody rain uh and then you have a pop of yellow and red um and i always i've always said this was jurassic park is red jurassic world is blue and i think the next phase is yellow where we're getting like the dominion and that kind of stuff so um maybe the next phase is a lot of yellows but i think that's what makes the posters knowing that balance like you're not going to make a jurassic park poster that's like branded blue unless you're trying to go for that take uh, of a Jurassic World park hybrid type thing, hybrid. Uh, I think a Jurassic poster just has to be something that has, um, it's, a, it's a mood, it's like a vibe. I don't know how to describe it, but you, see, you just see it and you know. <laughs> I think it's really interesting actually, one of the first things you went for was color balance as well and the difference in colors across which kind of franchise it was. Because um, one of the main things I spoke to Fnatic about was how mm -hmm. do you distinguish those? What is the difference between world and park? And I think mm -hmm. you kind of nailed it with that tonality is kind of what makes that so different. Yeah, and I think now that they're going to yellow, it's like really uh, not fan servicing, but it's like very cool because like the second that you see that amber logo, you know right away. Whereas with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, it was a little bit harder with the poster. Like it was on that gray. Uh, I think actually the Jurassic World poster didn't even have blue on it either. It was just a silver logo. And you obviously we know that Chip Kid designed that logo, that beautiful logo, not the circle thing, but the actual Rex in the middle. But now you're seeing this color and you're like, that's Jurassic. Like right away, you're just like, boom. <laughs> It makes sense. It's like those brand associations that people don't always think of, but they're always there at mm -hmm. the back of our heads whenever we see something. Yeah. So we've got to move on to it. You got the chance of a lifetime to work with Universal Pictures on an official poster. And this is still so awesome. So talk about that process a little bit. And what was that like? Uh, that process was so interesting and so out of the box. And I feel like it was a once in a lifetime thing for any poster artist or any artist that wants to be a poster designer. I think I have to thank Colin Trevorrow and Universal Pictures and Jay Bayona so much for all of that. Just flat out, that's the first thing I need to say. Uh, second thing is I started making fan posters when Fallen Kingdom came out. And the first one, uh, the Rex shot went viral. I don't know how that happened because I posted it on Facebook and Twitter and I think Instagram, or I even posted on Instagram like after the fact. And then just people thought and assumed it was official and it went everywhere. And um, when the official poster came out, it looked a lot like the poster that I created 
uh, I created that one in like five minutes, literally through open Photoshop and extended it, put on like a little flare, put the logo and the date on the bottom and called it a day and then just posted it. And when the official poster came out, it looked very similar to the one that I did, but I tweeted out and I said, because people were defending me and saying like, oh, they stole your idea. And I was like, no, this was probably marketing's idea from the start. I just had a good idea. Like I just released it a little bit earlier type thing. Um, and after that, uh, I keep on making more and making more and Colin and JA and Danielle Pianetta and like a bunch of the cast members would share my posters on their Twitters and Instagrams. And I was like, this is crazy. Um, and then the Jurassic World account DM me on Twitter and said, Hey, we really like your work. The actors really like your work. Um, the talent do the actresses, everybody. And we want to talk to you about something. And I was like, this isn't real. I'm dying. I was at work. Um, and there was a, one of my coworkers were sitting next to me and I was like, is this real? What is happening right now? And I got on a call with them about 10, 15 minutes later, and they asked me to create a Fandango poster. Uh, when you bought the ticket, you got a free poster. And I, I went through, I think like 20 posters before that one. Um, and Colin really wanted to post or share a poster I'd already created. And uh, Universal was like, no, we want something new. We want something fresh so that, you know, the fans will actually go out and get it and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of became this hybrid of something I had already done and a hybrid of something brand new. And the hardest part about that poster was they said, no people. We only want dinosaurs. And I was like, how? And they were like, fit as many species as you can. And I was like, um okay how am i gonna do that because uh they gave me a few screenshots from the movie and like you can't really it, it was hard for me back then to like mix and match photos from stills and whatever and i was like what about the, the actor they gave me the renders of the dinosaurs and they were like maybe this will help and i was like oh yeah and so i made it and avengers was really big that year and all that kind of stuff and i i didn't use an avengers poster as like a template but somehow it happened to be very Avengers-like, but in dinosaur form and people lost their minds over it. And some people really hated it. And some, actually a lot of people really liked it, which was really nice. Um, and that's how it came about was I tried to fit as many, cause initially my other poster version of that had way more dinosaurs on it. It looks absolutely ridiculous. Um, but the one that actually came about was, um, was the one that you see now all over the internet and everything. So that was that experience. And then I got to do movie bill as well, which is the cover for that little pamphlet that is like the, the playbill that you get before you get to go see the movies in the States. And that was insane for me as well, because walking into a theater and seeing all those in everybody's hands, I was like, this is what is happening to me. This uh, it's still surreal to me. And I, I should have like really took in the moment, but it, <laughs> it was crazy. The maddest thing to me is that initially they were like, here's some screenshots, you can cut them out from this and just use them, right? <laughs> and I did that. I did that for the first 19 rounds. <laughs> I did a poster with the Mosasaurus and Rexy and the Lion. I did, oh my God, I don't even remember. There was, there was a lot. And I remember when I went to the 25th anniversary event at Universal, that was the first time I met Colin in person. Um, and that was a time when they were picking and choosing my posters. 
I wasn't a part of that process, but I think the guys from Outpost were because uh, they, they went to the offices or something like that that day. And I was so jealous. I was like, what? You guys are the ones choosing my poster? And th that's not how it was. But they were like giving feedback, like this is a cool one or whatever. And in the end, they went, because they actually denied the poster that I did, the Avengers looking one. They said, mm, no. And <laughs> Colin and I think a few other people came back and they were like, yes, this is the one. Are you kidding me? Like, what are you talking about? So yeah, that's how it uh, ended up. <laughs> That's cool. It's, it's always interesting the way those things work out and who's like involved behind the scenes making. Yeah, I think, I guess they just wanted like some fan opinions and then they wanted like obviously a marketing opinion. And yeah. they went back and they said, actually, it wasn't them saying that my poster wasn't good. It was them saying this is too messy because it, it was a disaster yeah. because there was <laughs> like a hundred species on there was even a Brachiosaurus and all this stuff. And I took that all off and made it more, you know, clean. <laughs> yeah. It worked out in the end, I guess. Still kind of, when I look back on it, I'm like, what? This is a Jurassic Park, Jurassic World poster type thing because it's so not like the other posters we've ever seen for Jurassic. And I think that's what makes it special. It won some awards, surprisingly, for Universal, which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that is really awesome. I think, wasn't one of them was to do a Rotten Tomatoes, wasn't it? If I remember correctly. Rotten Tomatoes, and then there yeah. was... Um, I, think I like how I went with the really British overly posh pronunciation there. <laughs> rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I love it. I love it. But yeah, th that's the cool part about it is, like I said, there were some articles that were so mean and then some articles that were just very, very like, this is the most epic thing I've ever seen. So it's like, I think I learned a lot from that experience is not everybody's going to like what you do and that's okay. <laughs> But then there's going to be some kid that has it hanging in his room and it's like his inspiration. So that's all I care about. <laughs> no, that's good. And that leads perfectly into my next question, which is on the subject of that. So other fans might have that poster hanging in their room. It yeah. might be on their shelves like you've got behind the, your, you. I can't even get my words out now. How does that feel to know that that's in other people's collections now? Honestly, that's something that I've always wanted to be a part of is I do so much collecting myself. So it's not like I'm just some, you know, marketing guy of high up. That's like, let's put this out and the, the people will buy it and they'll love it. And it's something dumb and we don't even like it type thing. I, I actually put my like heart and soul into it. And I was freaking out because I was like, is this good enough? And um, that was the most important thing. And Colin tweeted after, uh, I, it was released and he said, you know, a lot of kids are going to hang, have this hanging in their room. And like, um, I forgot exactly what he said, but it was a very nice message from him. And it really hit me at that point was, oh my God, a lot of people might have this. They might buy it on eBay later and whatever. It's going to be on fake products like blankets and pillows and weird stuff that I've seen on eBay. And that's, that's a sad case for poster designers too, is a lot of your stuff that you post on Twitter and all that, it gets... I don't make any money off my posters, at least not yet, maybe one day. But um, that's another thing you have to worry about is all these people making fake products of, out of your stuff. And that's another fun part is even that fake stuff that might be in someone's room or collection. <laughs> but the official stuff, knowing that, you know, I, I remember at the Fallen Kingdom premiere, there was people 
with my poster, like Jeff Goldblum signed this and, you know, Steven Spielberg signed this. I'm like, there's people out there with my poster with Steven Spielberg's autograph on it. Okay, that's crazy. I want one. Can I have one? (laughs) So it's a great feeling. No, that's really cool. I kind of, I just have an image in my head of someone with one of those really tacky knockoff like mini skirts with just one of your posters printed across it. It's, I, I think that's a thing. Oh my god! <laughs> I think that was a thing. There was, I know there was a dress. There was a dress. There was a horrible shirt. There was a puzzle. There was, there's everything. There's a water bottle. There, everything I've seen, and I'm like, hmm. I mean, I did sign off on Universal saying like, yeah. this is this is Universal's. It's not mine. So I'm not gonna be. I didn't want it. I didn't go into it for the money. I went into it for the experience and yeah. just to see all these sneaky people making so much money off of it, that's the crappy part. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I've always been that. very um, anti, like, sell my posters. Yeah. Uh, every, everybody wants a print. I get a message every day. Can I buy this as a print? And I'm like, no, because I don't own the images. I don't own those people's faces. I don't even own the dinosaur renders. Like, if I drew them, like, um, Jar- Jaroslav, like, he does an amazing job. Oh, my God. If I If I did it like him, then totally, but no no i know i I respect that i know my place yeah i think i think it's so easy for people to forget about that like i've seen it a lot um not necessarily in the jurassic community but in other communities where people were just like using assets like a good example is a video game i play halo somebody Mm -hmm. literally took a render of a character put it through the cutout filter in photoshop i was then like that's different enough now i can sell that on merchandise and i'm like what What?" and there are some laws that actually say that if you manipulate an image enough you can and i'm like i don't know about all that (laughs) yeah no i think it's better to just do it for fun but yeah you never know and who knows maybe one day they will be available through places like fanatic officially licensed by universal there you go We'll um, <laughs> so one thing I also wanted to touch on is obviously you helm Jurassic Your World and that account means you have a lot of interaction with all kinds of different people across the internet so mm. speaking more broadly what do you think it is that makes Jurassic such an appealing franchise which so many people are talking about online even today you know I started that Jurassic World account because I didn't, I really wanted to post stuff about my collection and my experiences. And it didn't really mix well with my movie poster account. My movie, people came to my movie poster account to see artwork. They didn't want to see Jurassic stuff. So I was like, I'm just going to make a side account where I can like share the silly stuff that I do. And I did not expect it to grow so quickly. I don't know what happened. I didn't buy any followers. There's no bots. It's literally <laughs> Jurassic fans. And I'm like, Oh my God. Um, and you're right. I see a lot of, I see, you know, younger people. I see older people. I see moms. I see dads. I see people my age. I see a lot of people from the Jurassic community. There's a lot of actors and actresses and producers from the films that follow the account. So I'm like getting all this information from different ages and groups and um, people. And surprisingly, when I post things on that account, it's always positive. And I'll get a random comment, like one comment out of like 90, that's like this weird negative comment. I'm like, "Mm, okay, that's nice. I think there's another page for you that you can go on and talk about that stuff. And I've noticed that for some reason, everybody that follows me is very positive. 
Um, I, I posted something on uh, for Pride Month, and I was I was actually worried about posting you know something for Pride Month on a Jurassic account because you know a lot of fanboys and a lot of all these people are usually not they don't tend to you know like that stuff, and that was one of my biggest posts ever was and the most shared and the most commented and and it was all positive. Um, there was some negativity and that was like drowned out by the positivity. So the one thing that I can say about the Jurassic fandom from all those experiences that I've seen and all the posts that I've done is everybody's very supportive. Everybody's very positive. Um, you know what, there's, there's movie fans that are part of the Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and all these different like fandoms that, that are huge. Um, and that's what makes the Jurassic fandom a little bit different. It's, it's very supportive. And I think that's why I've gotten to thrive so much is because everything I post, everybody's like, this is amazing. And if I post something dumb, you actually see the like count goes way down. So um, it, you can tell that it's very, like they're very honest and they're very kind and that they're very cool. And they're, they are opinionated, but like in the right way. So they wanna make sure that the dinosaurs are right. They wanna make sure that the toys look right or whatever it might be, but you know, they're not evil, which I, I love. I love that the Jurassic fandom is pretty great. The second you mentioned opinions, I was like, he's gonna say dino accuracy. <laughs> it's like the um, big buzz thing currently. <laughs> it, and you know what's funny about that is I, I'm a huge dinosaur person. And I've told this to uh, the Why Dinosaurs guys is I'm a huge dinosaur person, but I suck at dinosaur knowledge. And I think that's the huge thing. Like a lot of people don't want to admit that because, you know, if you're part of the Jurassic fandom, everybody thinks that you need to be a paleontologist. There's no, I'm the thing that really, really inspires me about the Jurassic, you know, saga and all that kind of stuff is the storytelling, the films, the marketing, the branding, the toys, the experience. And then the dinosaurs, like I learn a lot from it every day. Like now I can name off a lot of stuff easily, but before I was just a, a nerd that didn't know too much about it and now I do so I think that's really important for kids too like that's why I did the the toy drive that I did was because I noticed a lot of people would donate toys that were Barbies and cars but there was never any dinosaurs and I'm like what if we give them a dinosaur this is real they're going to learn something from it so and that's just for me to admit is I'm a huge Jurassic person but I'm not the best dinosaur person yeah and that's okay I'm exactly the same. I say in a lot of my reviews on Jurassic collectibles, I end up going, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know anything about this animal. So tell me yeah. what you know in the comments down below, because I want to yeah. learn from you. And that's good. I'm glad you're exactly the same. That's great. Yeah, I, I think it's nice because it it does encourage um, that kind of like ice breaking where you're willing to actually go away and learn more. And there's so much that's accessible yeah. out there. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I did some volunteering with Crystal Palace Dinosaurs, mm -hmm. I want to say two years ago. So I got to learn all about the like first scientific recreations of dinosaurs. And that's yeah. something I would have never done if I hadn't got into Jurassic and then found right. all the other stuff through that. Mm. It's And there's so many like paleontologists and stuff that I follow now and there's little facts that I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's really cool. Like I just found out that, um, what was it, George Washington, the first or one of the first, he wasn't the first American president, one of the first American presidents, what was he? I'm terrible at history. Um, one of the presidents didn't know that dinosaurs even existed. 
you know, there was a time that you know, that people didn't even know dinosaurs were a thing, and it was in recent history. So Us, <laughs> it's yeah. very interesting. <laughs> Is there so many little like nuances and details that you don't know until you really dig into it, which is fascinating. Um, so I want to move past Jurassic for a very brief moment and then we'll come back to it at the end. But I wanted to ask, are there any other properties? Um, so they could be films, could be music that really inspires you and you'd like to kind of go away and make artwork for that in the future as well? I would say, um, I love every, you know, I'm a huge fan of every Spielberg movie. I'm a huge fan of, um, I love Star Wars. I love Back to the Future. I love, you know, there's so many different things that I would love to make a poster for. And this month on my account, I'm doing only Jurassic posters, which is kind of hard for me because I'm like, uh, I want to make something else today. But, you know, um, I'm sick into Jurassic June, 30 days of posters. Uh, but I think that's the thing, like I've been making um, for music artists, they, they message me on Instagram a lot and they're like, I would love a poster from you. And I'm like, oh my God, it's you. Like, I'm not going to name drop anybody, but it's like, I can't believe. Um, like I made something for Lil Nas X um, a couple of years ago for Old Town Road, which is very ridiculous. <laughs> but um, that's the biggest song ever, which is really weird. Um, but that's the thing, I, I love music and I love that music artists are like, embracing movie posters into music which is interesting for the music videos and i think i would love to be a part of any 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 um you know other franchise um even i love making fan posters for you know the fast and the furious saga and a lot of people are like those movies are so ridiculous and they are um <laughs> but i got to see fast nine actually without the dominion pre preview i wish it had the dominion preview uh and that was, that was, those are the kind of movies that you want to go see in the movies. Like it was so loud and bright and crazy that it just felt right to see it in the movie theater. Um, so I would love to be a part of that. honestly anything. There's nothing that I would, there, there's definitely things I would say no to, but um, most of it is like, all of it is like a brand new experience for me. So it's very exciting. Oh, I like it. The, the door is very much wide open, which is how it should be. Awesome. Yeah. Um, lastly, what message would you like to leave with Jurassic fans for Jurassic June? Uh, I'm trying to think. I think the message that I want to leave for all the Jurassic fans is thank you for being positive. Thank you for sharing artwork from not only me, but all the other fans that really want to be a part of something. And I think it's really cool that we're different than other franchises and sagas and everything like that. The, Jurassic started with Alan, Ellie, you know, Ian, and all these characters that were so different. And I feel like that's the case with all the fans too. There's not, a Jurassic fan doesn't have to be, you know, straight or gay or, you know, a woman or a man or a boy or a girl. I think it's really cool that it's expanded to everyone. Um, and dinosaurs are not just for boys either, they're for girls too. And I think people are realizing that and it just it's grown so much and i think that that's what i want to leave with is jurassic is not done and i think we've learned that hopefully that the franchise is going to grow even after dominion and it's going to bring in a lot of fans that weren't a part of it before and a lot of people that are pretty cool so i think let's expand it let's invite everybody and if you if you do have an opinion 
just make sure you're nice about it because opinions are important, but the way that you handle them is uh, very important as well. I think that's what I want to leave with. Can I just get you to say a little introduction of who you are and who you work for? Sure. So my name is Ollie. I am a digital marketing specialist for Fanatic, who are a supplier and manufacturer of uh, movie and gaming collectibles. Firstly, why don't you tell us a little bit about who Fnatic are and what their ethos is as a company? Sure. So uh, Fnatic, um, everyone at Fnatic is a geek and uh, about all sorts of things. We're all massive film fans, we're all gamers. So um, what we wanted to do to begin with was um, create stuff that was like almost in-world things. So we, we have... Um, like our specialty is tickets in world tickets we've got um, we, we launched last year some tickets for um, the opening weekend opening weekend of Jurassic Park of the, of the park itself that were in uh, 24 karat gold plated and it was the, the best product we've ever done it's, it's sold out immediately which is great so um, yeah we, we like doing really cool stuff like that I've got a load of props here that I could show you but I won't do anything just yet but one of our favourite ones is the, um, I don't know if you can see that properly, the, the gates of, of Jurassic Park in, in metal ingot. So we like these collectible things that people put on display, not necessarily toys or, or things that you could actually use, although we do do bottle openers, but um, stuff that people can put on display, that's what we like to do. I like that as well. I haven't actually seen the silver one. I've got the really? gold one. I've got like, I don't know if my... Yeah, my green screen's not going to go up that far, but I have like a fanatic shelf that just has so much piled on it at this point. <laughs> I've got the gold one here, but it's yep. sealed, so I didn't want to open that. <laughs> no, that that's the like conundrum with everything you guys do. I'm always like, I want to do a video on it, but I also don't want to open it. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're lucky actually that we get we get samples from the factory. I'll probably go into that in a bit. We get samples from the factory, so this was a sample. So we can actually I, yeah. feel them first. I am. Um, so the, the, the last thing that Louise sent me actually was the gold one of that. And I can remember for the first time it said sample on the back instead of having the like numbers. And I was like, yeah. this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is more limited edition than the limited edition. <laughs> um, cool. So obviously we're both Jurassic Park fans, I hope. So I wanted to ask, what's your favourite Jurassic film and why? So um, it's got to be the original. Um, I'm a massive Steven Spielberg fan. So that first one, not so much Lost World, but uh, the original film is probably one of my favourite films ever still. And like the effects now, what are we, 20, however many years later, 28 years later, stand up they're amazing the the mix of animatronics and a little bit of cgi i think in 1993 were unreal and even today like joe johnson's jurassic world 3 is fine but the effects in that aren't as good as they were in the original film i don't think in my opinion anyway um yeah it's such a good film i love it 
Um, obviously, the Fnatic team have worked on the Jurassic license for a while now. So I was interested, what has that whole process been like? And how does it feel to get to produce items from a franchise which people hold in such high regard? So it is well thought of and highly regarded. So there is that little bit of pressure about whether something will be well received. Um, but it's been, it's been great to work with. We, we all love the franchise so much. Um, We've had the license for three years now and we've just renewed it as well so um we'll be producing stuff well after uh, dominion comes out next year if it ever comes out um and it's been really good to work with universal they're really good they're, they're nice to work to we we, we, we uh, speak to them directly we with with licensing sometimes as the mediator but not not in this case we speak to universal directly um and they're they're really good to work with Cool, that's really good to hear. And I think it's nice that you've got that straight point of contact. Because I think sometimes otherwise stuff gets lost in translation and then it just makes it hard to get stuff to production. So yeah, exactly. that's really cool. Um, so obviously there's a wide depth of source material out there to choose from. I mean, we've got five films at this point. We've got two series of an animated show with a third just on the horizon. Um. So how do you guys go about choosing the items that you want to um, produce? Like, how do you pick what you think will translate well into your product range? So we get um, a set of style guidelines, they're called, from, from Universal that will have a lot of imagery that we can use. But we're not strictly tied down to that. So if we come up with an idea, we can submit it to them um, and they will either approve it or, or give us changes or just say, no, you can't do that. Um, so... It's basically just, we have a, since we've been working separately and everyone's been at home, we have an 11 o'clock meeting every day on Skype and um, something, someone will just remember something from one of the films or they've watched something recently and just say, what about this? And then we'll take it from there really. So it's, you have to keep a lookout for things that will make good collectibles. Like um, we've got the bottle opener the, the Velociraptor claw bottle opener. So we wanted to get something that was you could make from the Velociraptor claw that Alan Grant has. Um, and this has been one of our best products and I, I love it. It's on my, it's on my fridge at home. <laughs> Use it all the time. So just, yeah, we, we know what we can do in terms of making things like ingots and, and tickets and stuff. So, and coins, we do a lot of coins. So if we see something in or remember something from a film and go, oh yeah, of course, we, we could turn that into something. That's really the the way that we come up with the ideas. Um, and yeah, in, in our 11 o'clock Skype meeting every day, someone will suggest something and then we'll sort of like spitball it and see if we can work out if it's worth doing and whether people will like it and, and take it from there. Cool, I, I like that. And I think it kind of shows in all the stuff you're doing as well at your genuine fans. Because I remember, um, and I, I probably won't include this in the actual recording, but I remember when Louise was doing uh, working on like all the promo stuff for the original ticket that you did for the opening weekend. Mm. I remember getting an email from her just asking me to look at it and see if there was anything I as a fan thought was missing. And like the, yeah. the fact that you guys are willing to have that dialogue with people and actually focus on what people in the community want as well is really, really cool. And I don't know why I said that, because it won't be included, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to know. <laughs> yeah. Although that's really important, because like we we can think something's going to do well, but we, we there's only a handful of us, so we might miss something. 
Yeah. So it's important to speak to uh, more people. Yeah. Make yeah. sure it's going to work. No, yeah, I definitely get that. Um, so so on the subject of project products and actually kind of developing them and picking what's going to work, how do you then go into the process of developing a new product? So let's say, for example, you're working on a new collectible coin. What would the process be from that initial idea to getting that finished product in our hands? So we, w- we would have the idea, then we'd... Um... Uh, one of our designers would come up with uh, some sort of um, uh, like preliminary drawing or design for it. And we'll submit that to Universal, first of all, before we do too much work in case they just say no. Um, And once they give us the go ahead, then we speak to um, our factories. So we've got factories all over the world that we use, um, different ones for different things. We'll speak to them and they'll create a like a 3D drawing for us of what it will look like using the materials that we suggest. And they will give us, quite often they'll give us different um, different materials they can use to see what it looks like. So we, we have the silver and the gold things, but we do um, just like dull metal things as well. And, and dull, not dull as in boring, but dull as in not as shiny. Um, uh, and yeah, when they send us those drawings, we, we sort of tweak them and perfect them and see how they're going to look. And then... Once we're happy with that, they make a sample, which they will ship over to us, which is what this is actually. This is one of the samples. We got, we got loads of samples. It's full of samples, I suppose. Um, and once we're happy with that, then we um, speak to Universal again and determine what the final product will look like. And then um, we give them the go-ahead to produce it. And there's, there's quite a bit of a lead time. It's usually three, four months between us um, giving them a go ahead and them actually landing with us a lot of our um uh, a few of our factories are in china so it takes a while to get over here um but yep once it once it hits us then we ship them out to either retailers like um zavi and hmv who supply or we send them directly from people that bought from our website to to you guys Cool. So it's awesome to hear that again, there's that collaboration with Universal right at the start there as well to make sure that they're happy with the stuff you're putting out as well, because I think that keeps it very on brand for Jurassic, which is awesome. Exactly. Cool. Um, so, so obviously a big part of that, and I imagine Universal will help with this to some extent, is going about collecting source and reference material and finding stuff that your designers can use to then inspire their designs. So how do you guys go about that sort of process to get in reference material? Do you have access to any of that ahead of time? Do you just sit and rewatch the film's loads? Like, how does that work? Rewatching the film loads is what we do anyway, just like in our spare time, so... That, that's not an issue. Um, but yeah, they, they, Universal provide what they call a style guide, which is, it'll be, there'll be tons of stuff in there, um, imagery and, and um, designs and things and, and styles that we can, we can use. So when we do come up with a product, we will look through the style guide and see if there's anything similar and make sure we stick to there what they, um, obviously they have strict, pretty strict guidelines about what, what we can produce so it does stay on brand. So, um, uh, yeah, but we do we do um, generally just watch watch the films, <laughs> and uh, we've a few of us have got kids, so they've got into Camp Cretaceous, and, and yeah, we, it just helps that we're big fans. There's there's nothing that we produce that no no one in the office is a fan of, so that really helps. 
Yeah, I think that's really cool to hear and that passion kind of shines through. I mean, what one thing for me, I think, really highlighted how much you guys are into the franchise is the series of collectible pins you did. When they dropped and they like all perfectly captured iconic moments, I was like, you can just tell it you guys know what people want. <laughs> um, so obviously earlier you mentioned that one of your specialties is in-world project, uh, products like tickets. Um, so I, I wondered, is there kind of a different process to that than, say, for example, a coin, where you're trying to immerse it more in that world? Um, and how much pressure is there as well to kind of get in that accurate look for something? Um, so, I mean, there is a, a lot of pressure to get it, make sure it's right. Um, that's why it's really good that we work directly with Universal that we can just sort of um, throw these things at them and say, are you happy with this? And they're, they're obviously really protective of the brand because it's, I imagine it's their, I don't know for definite, but I imagine it's their biggest franchise that they've got in their books. Um, so with things like, we, we, we don't necessarily do a lot of things that will appear on camera. So the tickets that we do may, may be from the, the universe, but they're not necessarily um, things that you'd see on, in the film so some of that we do have to use a bit of um, our own creativeness to, to come up with. I've got one of the tickets in front of me now. This is the um, Jurassic World Dino of the Deep, the um, Mosasaurus show ticket, the gold one, which I think was uh, exclusive for Zabby, I think this was, or the Hook Group. Um, so this, I mean, you've got the image of the Mosasaurus there that's from Jurassic World. Um, and then we use the different bits that we will have found in the style guide, like this little logo here. And then we sort of add ticket ticket bits to it. So that would be your, your tear off stub and got the InGen logo there as well. Um, so it's just a, it's, it's quite a, you sort of take bits from all sorts of places, like our own ideas and the style guide and then things from the film. So it's quite, I mean, it's not, it's not, um, they cut and dry. You've got to make sure you don't like throw too much stuff at it and make it really busy because it will make it more expensive. It'll make it not appear great. But um, yeah, so we, we, we've got um, really good designers who know what they're doing. Um, I really like this. I might keep it. <laughs> um, so a, a big thing as well is the difference in sort of I wouldn't say brand language, but maybe tone between Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, especially with things like colours, but also some of the designs there. So how do you differentiate between that like classic Jurassic and then the more modern franchise? So we do, um, colours are a big thing that we use. So this is, uh, this was our first Jurassic World product. It was a, a blue, lost around to blue coin. Um, and we used uh, more of an orangey uh, packaging colour. Um, whereas the Jurassic Park stuff is, is like the darker, more traditional stuff from the original logo, the red, red, uh, and black and white and yellow logo. So it is it, a lot of it is down to just um, packaging, and um, they do the, the logos are slightly different. Um, Jurassic World one is a is, is a T Rex still, I think, but um, hasn't got the Jurassic Park written across it like the, the original Jurassic Park logo had. Um, but yeah, you're right about tone. It's interesting that, um, I mean, there's not many people that are big fans of the first three films that aren't fans of the Jurassic World um, fan, uh, films, but it still um, does feel like like the original, certainly the first film is probably a bit darker 
than um, than the later ones. They seem to well, the second one as well, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so maybe brighter, more colourful things are what we what we perhaps go for for Jurassic World stuff. But I, I mean, it's, there's no sort of cut and dry rules for it. Cool. No, that's good to hear, and I think it it says a lot about the fact that the two work so well, kind of interspliced as well. And there's quite a good bit of brand continuity between both of them. Yeah. Um. So you're gonna hate me because the next question is something that you've kind of already answered, but we'll go with it anyway. Sure. So, what's it like getting to work with Universal Pictures as a licensee? It's great. That well, it's it's like um, there's such a iconic company um we've got a few um different uh franchises that that they we license license off them so we've got back to the future and their monsters range so we've got frankenstein and dracula bits as well um and it's really it's really good to work with them they're they're, they're great guys and um like some of these some of these companies who um are so huge like universal is like we, we will be a fraction, a tiny little fraction of, of what they have to do on a day-to-day basis, but they're, they're, they're attentive and they get back to us. And yeah, so it's, it's impressive. It's, it's a good thing to, um, to say you're doing, deal directly with Universal Pictures, which is nice. It's definitely a cool thing to put on a CV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a wide array of products available under the Jurassic theme from Fnatic. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Which product has been your favourite to work on? Or I'll change this to work with so you can still pick older products as well. Yeah. And why? Um, the Velociraptor bottle opener, without doubt, it's so cool. I even I just hold it. This one's attached to the back end still, but hold it between my claw like Alan Grant does at the start to that little kid that he terrifies. Um, it's really cool. Um, and not just because I'm a big drinker. That's not why I, I can you can open non-alcoholic beverages with it as well. But we've sort of sort of landed on um drinkware because we we did we do the bottle opener, we do coasters. I've got some coasters here um as well. So there we've got the gates and the T-Rex skeleton. They they're not as detailed as things like the ingots because a, a glass has got to sit on it without falling off. Um and we just just this last last few months launched shot glasses as well which are really cool so these different iconic bits from the from the first film uh, as well so that's been really good to work with like things you can actually use i mean collectibles are great and i do love them and i'm my wife hates me for it but i collect all sorts of stuff um but i, I do like the the things that have actually got a use on the bottle open. That's cool, and I know what you mean about the backing, because I think mine's still on it, and every now and then I'm like, oh, I could just take it off and play around with it for a bit. <laughs> um, obviously, we spoke a little bit about products which are already out, but are there any product types? So that could be, maybe obviously you mentioned drinksware, so something else that you have an interest in that Fnatic's not working on currently, or any scenes from the franchise? It's kind of two different questions there that you would like the chance to experiment with in the future? Um, well, I mean, there's the, there's, when Dominion comes out next year, I imagine there'll be tons of new stuff that we'll be able to be able to do. We don't get any like sneak preview or anything, annoyingly. It'd be nice if we did, but we don't. Um, so um, that'll be great. I'm sure that'll be a treasure trove of stuff we can, we can create um, new products from. 
Um, in terms of stuff that uh, we that I'd like to work with, it'd be cool if we could do stuff that the, the the main iconic part of the first film. I've said iconic a lot, but you, you have to do Jurassic Park. Um, the 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 first when you the first T Rex chase in the car when the car gets split over and the kids are trapped. Something from that. I'm not sure exactly what. I don't know a model of the t-rex's eye close to the window or something that'd be really cool and we've just um recently just launched like gift boxes as well with a few different products in which are which are quite cool so that sort of stuff stuff that we might start doing more of um premium things we've just launched the um premium pin badge 24 karat gold pin badge um which i have here um we're going to start doing more premium stuff like this so this is like we wouldn't put it on like a jumper or anything because it's quite heavy. It comes with a little gold foil print at the gates and it's like a chunky proper pin badge of the um, mosquito in amber. Another thing would be quite cool to work on actually, I mentioned it, is uh, Mr. DNA. It'd be great if we could uh, create something with him. It'd have to be a kid's toy or something, I think. That'd be cool. Well, I tell you what, that he is very popular in the community right now. Um I don't know if you've seen it, but Velocicoaster just opened in Orlando and there's like four different t-shirts with him on in the merch shop. Right. After them. <laughs> yeah. Um that that's actually really cool as well. I hadn't seen the gold pin before, so that's really awesome I mean, to that's, see we'll, that. We'll, that's just a sample, but when we get them properly in, I'll send one Cool. I appreciate that. That's really awesome. It's like, I feel like it's been quite a lovely little show and tell, which is going to be nice <laughs> yeah. for the visual prompts. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. So we're on to the tricky question now. Do you have any upcoming products that you'd like to tease a little bit? There's not really anything that I can show or tell. We have got a, a sample of something that um, I'm not allowed to show you, but it's uh, along the same lines of something we've done previously. Um, and there's a couple of big things that we're hoping to launch towards Christmas, but um, I can't tell you about them. <laughs> and then when, when Dominion comes out, hopefully there'll be a, we'll need a new warehouse for the stuff that we produce from that. I like that. That was basically, Tom, it's in the same room as me, but I'm not going to show you. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally there. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. <laughs> if the recording thing wasn't in the corner, perhaps I would. <laughs> um, lastly, do you have a message that you'd like to share on behalf of Fanatic with Jurassic fans this Jurassic June? Just um, keep being big fans of the franchise because that's what's getting more stuff made and that's what we like to see not just so we can produce stuff because we're, we're all such big fans and we want to see um, more, more content being made by them. Um, TV series, fine with that. And, and we can't wait for Jurassic World Dominion to come out. Really excited about it. I was a big fan of, I was a big fan of um, the last Jurassic World film, which name completely escapes me, um, Fallen Kingdom. Um, I know it wasn't particularly well received, but I think uh, uh, J.A. Bayona is, is one of the best directors working today, and I absolutely loved it. I like the haunted house feel of it with dinosaurs in. Like, I was sold at that. So I know it wasn't particularly well received, but I'm a big fan of it. So, yeah, more films. 
keep keep being fans so many beautiful friendships and so much support and validation um honestly um before this you know i thought art was like being creative in general was just like a hobby something that you do just because it's nothing close to a career or anything very important and as i started sharing my art online like fan art little silly things at first to express my love for like Bryce, Claire, Jurassic, um, like I was so surprised, so shocked when like people started actually appreciating it and everyone was so supportive and even just beyond like making art, uh, I found very beautiful friendships and Bryce is just the glue that holds us, that you know, holds us together, but also, you know, we stay, we still stick together um, and that that's beautiful and I think he inspires all of us with kindness and and it's just you know it's just beautiful to be part of with this community and just for someone who has very low self-esteem and confidence like me <laughs> it's very important to find someone who really really makes you feel welcome and and validated and shares your same interests and passions so i really love you okay yeah my favorite thing i got to say sarah my favorite thing is whenever like because you've been doing the art stuff for so long i love how you go back and you take something that you made like a year ago or a couple years ago and then recreate it then you can really see like how amazing like how much you've grown in it and i, I love when you do that <laughs> thank you <laughs> my favorite thing to it's mostly because i hate like i i look back and i'm like Ugh. so like let me redo it and then, and then honestly, I never expected to just keep going so much because I had started once like uh, I tried to make another Twitter account for like like Jurassic fan stuff like art and posters and stuff. But it you know it, it didn't really start off very well, so I deleted deleted it like after one week. <laughs> and and I was like okay that's it. But then I never expected to go this far. Like I do it because I like it. And then I found friends through it and um, and I never expected to actually, because I'm always like, okay, I'm out of ideas now. I will never do anything ever again because uh, I cannot come up with anything. And then 
boom, some, I find something uh, that inspires me. I mean, mostly Bryce related, but um, but yeah, also the support that I got from Bryce herself. I was like, why, how did I get here? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's so nice to have everyone always supporting me um, in what I do, but to be less, you know, self-centered, it's just so nice to have a community that just, we support one another and everything. It's just so nice. And I think Bryce's kindness really inspires us all to, to be kind to one another. Yeah. Of course, um, yeah, of course. I mean, we we want to. We're just one big group supporting a really really nice person. So I would think that all all of us have like a piece of that in us. So it's, it's a nice big massive nice. <laughs> um, Marie, what about you? What do what do you think about the community? Well, I I wanted to jump in in what you just said. Um, that's something that's really great in this community is that we're not just like you know we don't have like a celebrity and we're not just like the fans like we have like that like Bryce created like that relationship with her online family and we we like she cares really she really cares about us and about what we do and you know like about what you do Jennifer and Sarah and and she's always here like to support you and I think that's like we are really lucky like to have someone like her like it's I feel like we're it's like one in a kind in a way like when I see other fandoms and like other people like loving celebrities they're just like you know they have like that like that gap between them and I feel like we don't have that So I'm I'm really grateful for that. And I think we we all are that Bryce like is really like creating those relationships with us. That's true. You know what though? She would say the complete opposite. She'd say that we're all doing it. Like she's lucky to be part of our group or she's lucky that yeah. we build this thing. And we're like, well, you're literally like the glue, like you said. Yeah. We're, we so all met thanks to her and yeah. we do what we do thanks to her. And and I'm really grateful because, like, as you said, we got to meet, like, so many wonderful people thanks to her and some of you, like, you met in real life. And I'm, I'm hoping we'll get to meet in real life. And, and that's, like, real friendship that we got to create thanks to her. So she is, like, the glue of the whole community. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had other fandoms where we, we met people and we did this, but... And, and here now, like you meet a celebrity, you meet the fandom, you meet this, but like this is such a unique molding situation where Bryce comes out of her way to like talk to us, meet us, know who we are, learn about our lives. Like I guess I've been doing this like six years or so. And like she was there through like everything. Like when I got married, what with Wyatt, like but just in general, just life, like with my job, just she just kind of checks in and sees where I'm at in life. And it's not just the website it's not just I'll do an interview for you here I'll do this it's just like she really cares about each each of us as a person and because of that it makes us like just feel comfortable in this and then and comfortable enough to be friends with each other and we learn about each other and we're with each other for that long like we've known Ashley I'm saving you for last because like you're my my OG is that what they say yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, you've been with me since the, like, day one. And, I mean, we've had so many adventures together. It's, it's unreal. And only you understand, like, 
the beginning. Like when we we went to the um, Peace Dragon premiere together, I got a ticket and I got a, a guest and I took Ashley with me as a guest. And I mean, you were there in the hotel and we, we stayed with some other girls too from the, um, the original, like original whatever, but um, group, like the squad. But um, Ashley was kind of my partner in the whole thing. And like, they saw, like we went to Universal Studios together and they saw me working, like trying to get the stuff off Instagram and get it on the website, like as we were doing it. So you got, you lived with me when I was doing it. And then you went to the premiere, we did the after party. Like, I don't know, like we, we just did so much together. Like what what's your take on the community? It's, yeah. I've opened up a lot, like getting to see all of y'all grow, getting to see, Sarah's art change and getting the recognition that she deserves, getting to see Marie go to school and graduate and start working in the film industry, getting to see you, Jen, get married, have a baby, start raising your family. Like it's it's not something that I could ever fully describe. And we wouldn't have it if it wasn't for for Bryce. We wouldn't have it if it wasn't for Jurassic World. <laughs> like it's it's just it's been phenomenal. It's been a phenomenal six years. Yeah. And, and I mean, even to bring it back in, just the, the Jurassic world as well. I mean, the Jurassic community, I would say, is just as strong um, in in their own way because they don't have, I guess, because Colin interacts with them pretty good and, and they have like a similar situation. But even those folks, like they came to the wedding too. And it's just like this giant thing. And that's just, I, I've been in other fandoms and I, and I have very excellent friends from other fandoms. They were in my wedding as well. But there's something about this one where it's just the community is so supportive and so intense. And like, you could totally depend on them. Like whenever I just, I went in this chat thing and I'm like, well, is anyone wanna gonna talk about talk about this for 20 minutes for Brad's podcast? And like, everyone's like, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do this, but we'll change our day. Like, I mean, like you don't gotta do that. Like you don't gotta do any of that. Like nobody has to show up to this. We have three different countries and none of you have to like do this. And just the fact that you're like, yeah, I'll come in, I'll help out, I'll do this, I'll help help the podcast, whatever. And I mean, I can kind of come in and just ask you guys to do anything. Like, you do you do videos, like you do fan videos, you do appreciation videos, you do projects, you come together and you don't have to do, like that's work. I, I know you guys all have lives. I mean, I've probably been in these chats all the time. Like, oh, I think I'm gonna do an appreciation video then. And I get, I'm thinking, no one's gonna I get like 30 videos. I mean, everybody, and not not just you guys, people who are just, I don't even know. They're in that community, but yet they have little bubbles and pockets of friends as well. And they, they kind of just all, all know each other. Like, it's just really crazy how it works. And it's all because Bryce is just so, so nice and so like giving and just, just involved, which is shocking. She's so involved. Like, and she probably doesn't think she's involved, but she is so involved. It's, it's unreal. And I, I do think we're very, 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 very lucky um, to be in this kind of environment. And even after, I know the Jurassic community always talks about, well, when the last movie ends, is everyone going to still be involved? Are we still going to be around? Uh, I mean, I can't see us not being involved with each other. Like, I just can't. Even if Jurassic ended forever, if Bryce just retired, and was done, I, I can't really see us being like, well, nice knowing you, like I'm gonna go off on my own. Like, I just can't see that. And I've had that with other fandoms where 90% go away and you maybe stick with one or two. But I think our group is just so like, that 
whole, the entire group will pretty much stay like that. Like I would say 90% would stay together, which is so different and unique. And I, I just love that. Like I could trust you guys. I could depend on you guys all the time. That, that's just, that's just so cool. So I am so grateful to be in this community. I, I just love you all and you all have like, you're all so important. You're also important to me. You're important not just to VH Network, like that's just the thing, but um, we kind of go beyond that. We can go further. Like I know your lives and I, I just, I'm so proud of where, like Kelsey who could, almost came but couldn't make it, but she, she was 13 years old when she first did her first video and now she's in college, I think, going to college. Yeah, she just graduated yeah. high school. Yeah, so she's learning, learning school um, in August. It's just like, I grew up with all of you. You grew up with me and it's just, it's, it's so great and I think it's going to go on forever so that, that's just we're so lucky I think and then you know what I think we're going to go with Bryce forever like it's like, down yeah, the like road. we're holding Bryce from her retirement home we will just watch videos yeah. <laughs> oh my god that's what it's going to be I really think and how cool is that because I really think even in 10 years 15 whatever we could reach out at any point and she'll be like I got you like yeah like you want to talk you want to do this you want to do that yeah like I think we're we're a special bunch yeah, that's so exciting I definitely agree with that <laughs> yeah yeah you just can never get tired of being a Bryce fan like even when she's like absent from social media for like a million years straight and you're like where is she <laughs> but she still has an impact on our lives even when she's not like actively I don't know sharing our videos and stuff I think she just has um, such an influence on us and she just, you, you feel the support because you know it's there, like you, you've, you've had enough proof that she supports everything that we do and even when she's not there, uh, like physically or just like being there, like praising the online family, you know that you have it. Like sometimes when, I don't know, when I'm just doubting myself, even not with fan art but even just you know like now right now i'm making i'm making some films like i have this filmmaking course and when i whenever i doubt my myself like my creativity i would be like what would bryce do what would bryce tell me and so like you know and that like even just subconsciously it's not like i sit there and think about what bryce would would do but um she just she's there she's always there and you know, it's it's so nice to have someone who is very, very present, not just as like idol and fans, but as a person. And she just wants, she she would love to like get to know us. It's, it's just, um, it's so nice to be, to have her as a role model. Cause it's, you know, I don't feel like a passive fan, like, oh my God, I just worship you because you're beautiful and you're talented and whatever. No, it's just like it's true. And she's a true role model. Like I could find her in a teacher, in anyone, not just because she's a celebrity, you know. And that's that's what's what's special about Bryce. Um, she's so she's so genuine and supportive, and she just gets there. Like she just she's there, and she's with us. You know, because um, she built a relationship with her online family, and she's. That's, that's very interesting how that all came about, though, because back what back in 2016 is when she got social media. And I remember that being like kind of not not probably not to her, but it was like in my mind a make or break thing. Like it could go 
she's very interactive or she backs off or like there's so many you know how celebrities fit into columns like some don't even read their social media they just post news nothing like different things it is very um like where is she gonna fall and and in a way i remember when she got social media i felt like very like anxiety like oh my gosh she's she's out in the world now she's she's tangible like people are gonna latch on like what's gonna happen is she gonna just get hurt by it is she going to embrace it is is it am i not gonna be heard was a scary thing because she didn't know who i was at that point at all i, I don't think i don't know honestly i don't know i don't think so i don't know but um in my mind i didn't think she did and i'm like okay i gotta be really loud i gotta come on because this is my shot and i remember it being a very stressful time but it folded out in such a beautiful way i mean she I know she was nervous about it, but she handled it like flawlessly. She did everything perfect to do it. And I hope she was okay the whole way too. I know that anxiety everywhere with social media and her, but um, I think she, she enjoyed it. And I think where she's at now, she's probably at a comfortable place, but it took a lot to get there. And I'm glad she got there. And I'm glad we got there with her. Like she knows who we are. We have a relationship with her. Like her, her fandom in general has a relationship with her. And I mean, that could have went Back, looking back at um, 20, okay. sorry, thing popped up uh, about, anyway, um, <laughs> we have the relationship with her that could have went one way or could have went another way and it just fell into place like in the best way and I think we're all very lucky because I guess that's just a testament who Bryce was. I probably was more nervous not knowing what was going to fall. That's probably where it was always going to fall because she's that kind of person. So that's 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 so nice i'm so i'm so blessed to be in this and to know all of you and to know bryce and to bryce to know all of you and to know me and just to have this big group of support and just so much trust like i feel like she trusts us like beyond like she trusts us just as much as we trust her and that's like the key to a relationship i think so the fact that we could even say that and we live in that and we trust each other so much it's just how lucky are we like for real like we are just we're just so blessed in this whole thing and i'm just so grateful for all of you and bryce and now i'm just i focus this is nice <laughs> this, this is what it can be used for right this is really good yeah it's, um, yeah it's so it's so crazy to me that we we build that relationship with her like i would have never thought like back in 2015 when i went to watch jurassic world that we would like end up here and that we would have done like everything that just happened like in those six years and i'm so grateful for that yeah exactly exactly yeah i i remember the very first time i saw jurassic world i remember it very vividly i remember exactly where i sat yeah, me too. exactly where i was with yeah and i mean it it was a very like impactful impactful moment and um just going from there to here and being like being able to sit here with people that you've known for years now and be like, oh, we have a relationship with that person. Like, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? No, it's so weird. It's so weird. Like, even, I mean, I was in other fandoms too. And every time, like, when I think about my idol or whatever, I always, like, like you said, it's it was always a gap. Like, it's never going to happen, but it's, it's nice to have someone that you look up to. I mean, I would have been super fine with Bryce being that you know just someone to look up to that doesn't really interact or do any because it's it would be understandable right but 
this thing, like, I was just, every day, I'm just more and more shocked every time I think about it. Like, she just, you know, we didn't ask her to do anything. She just did, like, she's so genuine, like, oh my God. And she's not, you know, she's she's an A-lister. She's super important. She's, she has, like, like A-list roles and jobs, and she's a director, an actress, a writer, producer. I'm like, wait, like I did build some kind of relationship with this person? Really? <laughs> like I did? Like she knows who I am, she knows my last name, and everything. Like, wait, <laughs> that was so weird. Like if you think about it, it's so weird. Because I have... <laughs> She yeah. could take but every one of us out of the crowd. Like if she, if we were all in a crowd, she could just go off and say, "You, you, I know you, I know you," and you just, just pull you in. Like she knows the her whole community. Which yeah, is so I was, I was thinking she would never recognize me, but then she just remembered everyone, like even Anna and mm-hmm. Ash and everyone else and Kelsey. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh wait, what? Like I have, I have, like her little post framed up on my wall because it's like special memories and today my cousin was here and she was like wait did she write that to you i was like yeah like yeah she she just did she like she made a post like she did write those words yeah (laughs) yeah she did (laughs) like she's mad that you always talk about yeah she did yeah (laughs) it was like to go yeah. back to what you were saying before about like the big gap, like we're used to a big gap, like we're here and our favorite person's there. And once in a while you get like a line across, but there's always a gap. There's always some kind of gap. And I, the first time I, I Skyped with her in 2017, it was early to January, 2017. Um, when we were like getting ha- ready to hang out, this, like that was the first thing I said was, I don't want to hang up because you're going to go off and be like, here and I'm going to be here and I'll never like talk to she was such a person like she's such a tangible human being and usually when there's that gap they don't feel like a tangible human being but during the Skype I'm like we had like it was such a good time and a good connection like with a person like it could have been anyone just a person and then the end of it I'm like we're gonna go back to you being up there and you you just posting and not like just yeah, we have the relationship going now, but like back then, and it, you didn't know. We didn't know where it would be. I'm just like, this might be my last chance to ever talk to you. This might be my last chance to ever like be person to person. And I, I remember being so sad thinking, well, I'm back to the gap. Like we're back to that and we'll probably never get out of that. But, and I've had moments of gap, like it's just popping in and out here and there. But um, it that just makes it like that more meaningful because to go from that fear of endless gap where we are now thinking um she might live far away she might who knows where she lives who knows what she's doing now i don't even know she could be in another country doing something but i still feel like this like there's no gap it's so nice now that i could trust i could trust the no gap i could trust that wherever she's doing like we're not going to be forgotten we're important we're we're very important our online community is very important to her and i mean that's like all you can really ask for like how lucky there's nothing else you can really need in a fan of the community, the content, and then your your person is in the community with you. Like that's that's living it. So we are so lucky to be in that. Yeah. Sometimes I think that she's. Sometimes I feel like she's just as big of a fan of us as we are of her. 
and like like who who can say that about the person that they look up to like who can say oh yeah that celebrity is is, is a fan of me like they care about me they want to know what's going on with my day like no not many people can say that and it's 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 great that we have that now we know that we're gonna have that like like you said like she could be she could be in another country right now she could be doing something super busy and she might not have time for us at that exact moment but in a month from now like she's gonna care about us just as much like she's gonna pop back up and be like hey guys like what's been going on with y'all like we're always it's gonna be a lifelong connection we're, we're gonna have that connection with her for forever she's just part of the online family just like us like we might be apart for like some time like maybe we don't chat every day we know everyone's there and she's just like that and yeah when you think about it it's like what <laughs> she really trusts it yeah and it's that's like the best feeling ever being able to trust that okay like we're here we got her back she got our back we got each other's back like it's it's a nice it's really an, an online family as she just calls it so <sighs> any last thoughts because i think we're over a little period of 20 minutes but any last words any last anything all yeah. everyone everything everyone's good all right yeah, well i, I guess feel like we I hit everything if you all wait sorry um i guess okay i guess that then we'll just figure out how to end this but thank you guys for joining me and talking about how much you love each other and christ and the community and i just love well thank you for inviting us oh I yeah anytime and thanks brad for letting us do the segment gushing yes. about each other i don't even know like anyone who would enjoy this but thanks for letting us gush about each other and rice and it's our whole relationship all right bye bye, bye. bye brad and tom it's rachel here from jurassic site b and i'm here to talk to some of the jurassic park motor pool division members about their jp vehicles and their love of jurassic park Joining us today is my husband, Ben, who has Jeep 27, Dan, who has Jeep 20, <laughs> Bill, who has Jeep 35, Phil, who has Explorer 05, and Gary on the end there, who has Explorer 04. So I'm asking this question to all of you. Um, before we talk about the motor pool itself and your vehicles, my first question to all is why do you love Jurassic Park so much? I'll kick it off. Um, I, I love everything about Jurassic Park. Um, my favourite thing about Jurassic Park though is the facilities and the, the two islands that they're based on. So I love Isla Luba and Isla Sauna for different reasons. I love the theme park part of Jurassic Park and the idea that that place could really exist. And with Sauna, I love the mystery behind it, the, the work village and the bits that we don't see, you know, what happened there, what was going on, and what happened when they all had to evacuate. So yeah, that's my, my favorite thing about the films. Mm, I, I think it was it was quite a groundbreaking film at the time it came out. Um, it, it was You'd had dinosaur movies with stop motion dinosaurs and things, but getting to see them real and big, it, it looked like they were alive. Okay. So I think the attraction was, was there. It was a different film completely from what was coming out around the time. So I think that sort of, appealed to me then, which is why I went for it, really. Yeah, I, I loved dinosaurs as a kid, so like you said, to, to see them kind of come to life, because the, the CGI still stands up now, mm -hmm. and like Ben, you said, it, the, the science is explained at such a level that you could almost believe it. It's like, oh, why has no one done this before? Like, yeah. that, that could actually happen. Yeah. So that was, that was really exciting. So yeah, seeing it as a kid, 
and then seeing <gasps> this whole kind of you know childhood thing of, of, of dinosaurs literally coming to life. How does um, it go? <gasps> <laughs> That's been like that. Yeah, just coming to life was very very exciting. So yeah, I mean it's the same for me. It's it's one of the earliest movies I remember as a, as a kid, like um, the big ones in the nineties, Independence Day, even Star Wars. It's it's one of the first bits that. It was like the movie magic, and mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. I got so entranced in it. Watch it when the sequels came out. Uh, everything about it was just um, was just yeah, like printed in my brain. So my was, way, that's yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, from there on, I was like, you know, one day I may grow up, but I'm still that little kid inside <laughs> yeah. who wants as many Jurassic Park things as he as he can get. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. pretty much the same as you guys. It's actually I saw it on the big screen when it first came out, mm-hmm. and yeah. It's it's just it just stuck with me straight mm. away, you know, the amazing technology that it had back then. Yeah, which was uh, pretty groundbreaking. Mm. Yeah, it was it was a real impact when it came out, wasn't it? Mm. And it, it still is. Yeah. yeah, it still holds up actually. When, to, to when you're out, of Eastern films. When you're out in the vehicles, kids automatically know the logo. Yeah, they know what the logo is, what it's associated with. You know, it, don't, it might not say Jurassic Park, but it's like dinosaur truck yeah. or something. They they know. I think yeah. it's so in pop culture that even if someone hasn't seen any of the films, they still know the, yeah. the logo. Yeah. 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 Even yeah. if they yeah. have never seen it, so they're yeah. aware of it. Yeah. Which yeah. brings me to my next question: um, When did you start to build your Jurassic Park vehicles, and how long did it take you to get to the point that you're at now? Well, uh, my my Jeep was actually a gift from you, an amazing gift, back in 2018 for my birthday. She's a keeper. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I opened the box, had the Jeep key, and I hadn't quite clicked at the time, even though I'm looking at a Jeep key, and then uh, it drove through into the driveway, and I was, that was it, my legs went. I was, and I had this, it was moss green at the time, with chrome all over it. Classic. And, oh yeah, yeah, it was a real, it was a beast, it was very bling. And, um, and yeah, that, that was the start of the process, really, just stripping it down, Pretty much everything came off it, and everything new went. Well, not new, but you know, secondhand new came along, and um, a, a lot of the stuff had to come from the states because yeah. you know mm. it's all mm. all of those the right rims and the right different bits and pieces are all all in the US. Not, not much of it's in the UK. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was really the start of it for me. Mm. Yeah. The, similar to us, we uh, one of our members, Richard, who lives in Texas now. I first saw his Jeep at an event in Southampton and seeing it, I'd always wanted to, I've always been into um, Star Wars and various types of costume and things like that. But seeing a movie vehicle, it was kind of like, well, that's the next logical step. And meeting Richard and talking to him and, you know, him giving me information and things like that, that's progressed me on to do it. And I've always loved Jeeps, I've I've always been around that sort of vehicle. And to do it and incorporate it into a film that I love. It, it just kind of made sense, really, and that was about six, nearly seven years ago now. Wow. Yeah, I, I, same. I love the Jeeps from the film. It's one of the most iconic movie vehicles I've seen. Um, and I went on holiday to Aruba in 2018 and rented a Jeep for the time I was there. So I was driving around, going, "Oh, this is this is really fun." That was like just getting to drive a Jeep was fun. And then started thinking, "Ah." Oh, yeah, I wonder if you could make a Jurassic Park Jeep. So I kind of did some Googling and stuff and obviously found the motorport and I went, oh, this is a thing, people people yeah. do this. And yeah, from there, so that was 2019, I think I bought my Jeep. Spent about a year getting all the parts, again from America, just trying to source everything. I wanted to get it all um, kind of together. I knew I wasn't going to be able to paint it myself, so I had to get all the bits and pieces together and then so, yeah. get, a, get a paint shop to do it all and that. Um, I found them quite, quite local, which was good. Obviously COVID hit, which slowed a few things down, but um, mine got painted about four months ago, so round about about eighteen months to get it mm. get it all done. But um, yeah, it was it was a long time. 
felt like a long time. <laughs> it does, <laughs> it does doesn't it? Yeah, yeah my, mine was quite recent as well. I got mine sort of mid last year in okay. June. And then it was like, you know, because it was an old car, I was like checking it over, make sure it is all going to be okay before I, I embark on the project. And luckily it was, I got a good one. Um, the booking into the paint shop was probably the longest because I had delays from the COVID thing as well. So it didn't get all painted until um, end of last year. Mm. And then uh, I had to book in the graphics, find the right place that could do the vinyls and the patterns and um, and then get a few more repairs for the last MOT and bits like that. But overall, it, the year's gone quite quick, but over the winter, you're not going to do much with it <laughs> anyway, yeah. in a way. So uh, I was glad that up to about last month, I finally got it all all ready to go and out there and uh, uh, I've only been driving it around town for a little while and it's already like a little famous celebrity car <laughs> so uh, yeah you pop into Argus Morrison's it's like oh you've got a Jurassic Park car as well even if I'm not in it because yeah. Uh, yeah you're quite regular at the petrol stations as well I guess yeah. Yeah. but uh, yeah um, I'm actually on my second Explorer um, the current one I've got I've only had it three four months now so it's a fairly recent build um, still loads to do on it as always they're never finished no, no you're always you're always, you're always <laughs> trying to get get uh, more accessories on there but it's uh, always a work in progress yeah, yeah. that's right but enjoyable work in progress oh yeah, yeah. labor of love <laughs> absolutely so what's the hardest thing about the build what's um the hardest part that you've had to find uh for me it was the rims to be honest with you the oe uh, um the original rims um i looked everywhere eBay, Facebook Marketplace, I just could not get hold of them and I was thinking about getting them from the US and just by chance um, a set of four popped up on uh, eBay from a guy in Middlesbrough so I just went straight in, got them, managed to find the, the, the fifth uh, spare wheel a bit later on but that was definitely the hardest thing to find. They're so, or they seem to be so rare. Um, exactly. Even even in the states, they seem to be pretty rare. To be honest with you, so yeah, that that was the, the hardest thing for me. Mm. I think it's slightly different for me because of the time difference of when we built our jeeps. Because the rims for me was one of the first things we got. It was oh, relatively easy. We just literally got the jeep, and it had uh, I think there were like pepper pot type wheels on yeah. it. Awful things. <laughs> yeah. And. Um, we looked, we found the rims pretty much straight away, so that was just a straight swap. We were lucky to the point that the tyres that I needed were already on it. So it literally was, swap the old rims for the new rims, done. The the things we struggled with was things like the half doors, the oh, yeah. um, the side steps, because you just couldn't get them for love and money over it. Where now, sort of, so, sort of five, six years on, some of the guys that have recently built tubes have found that more relatively easy to get because they're suddenly available. Yeah. Whereas when I got my dashboard, the whole whole dashboard in the in the Jeep, which is like the correct colour, that was easy for us. But now people just can't get them. So for me, it was it was sort of up and down. You know what you for you found hard, I didn't particularly find yeah. hard. But then what you found really easy, I couldn't get. Yeah. So. I think it's when you time it, Timing. it's literally, if we all went in together and all done it at once, we'd, we'd be laughing, you know, when we yeah. get it. Yeah. But I, I don't know, is that, I mean, what, what sort of experience? I was like you, so yeah, the, the rims for me was quite easy. Um, the winch I thought was going to take mm, forever, winch. Oh, yeah. forever, Sorry, because again, winch. coming up with original Rep 6000 uh, winches is, is so, so difficult. Um, and just got lucky that someone else in the motor pool had found three of them like over in Japan. 
Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm shipping them over. I'm like, are you now? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously Ramsey did their, their run, so they might get a bit less uh, less hard to, to pick up. Um, but yeah, I think I think that was the thing. I was like, I'm, I'm just never ever going to find one of these. It's going to be forever. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, kind of got lucky on that. And what about the Explorer? Is that... Uh, it's a fairly similar pattern because it, it was a rims as well at first because when yeah. I bought mine it had the old three spoke chrome explore wheels which looked nothing like the 1993 ones um, and it was only straight after I bought mine like after um, it, it, when I got it from auction I, I looked around and thought oh hopefully there's something around there and lo and behold in Yuki was someone selling the four teardrop style wheels with the centre caps and all good tyres for 200 quid and then oh, uh, nice. considering that oh, wow. when I got mine, I needed to get new two new tyres anyway, which That's would incredible. have been like 180 or something. I yeah. thought, hang on, get the wheels, the centre caps and tyres for 200, a £50 shipping <laughs> the next day. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, it was meant to be that I got this Explorer in the end, because yeah. uh, I searched a couple of weeks after and never been able to find a similar thing. But otherwise, the, um, when you get the paint job and the, the graphics uh, done, to get the initial build, the um, the other bits like roof bar spotlights, you, you can quite source. So um, I think it's a bit easier than Jeeps because the Jeeps have a lot of cool kind of accessories and gadgets that that <laughs> have from the movies as well. But uh, yeah. Well, Gary, you've had wheels twice. Yeah, the, uh, I was quite lucky with the first one that I built because it was a Mark II. The same as uh, Phil's, but the one I've got now is a Mark III, which was never sold in the UK, which makes it. Impossible to get parts in the yeah. UK. You oh. cannot find anything. Um, a lot of Japanese imports, like mine. So mine was originally sold in Tokyo, right. done forty thousand miles, and then managed to get it over here. Um, there are a couple around, but not many at all. I think there's less than fifty in the UK. Yeah. So wow. it's, you know, trying yeah. to find any parts. Um, yeah. Most of it's come from America. Any parts that I need. The only problem is if I want interior trim. It's all left-hand drive stuff rather than right-hand drive. Oh, yeah, that's so a it's a whole minefield. <laughs> really, it's a right-hand drive. One of those. Good idea at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And your vehicle numbers, obviously, they're specific to yourselves. Why did you choose your vehicle number? Uh, well, because I got mine on my birthday, my second of July, so I went for twenty-seven. So that, that's yeah. how I ended up with JP twenty-seven. Oh, mine was twenty. Was my football shirt number. All right, okay. So I, I just stuck with that. I, I use number 20 for anything that needs a number in it has always got 20. Mm. All right, pin number? Mine was a birthday one as well, so I wanted to get mine done by my 35th birthday, which was last year. So I managed to get it done in the year of my 35th. Yeah. That um, still counts? Yes, it still counts, it still counts. So yeah, that was mine. Uh, mine was, I was always interested in the aftermath of the, uh, the T-Rex scene from the first film and seeing 05 survive, I was always like, I wonder what the car's looking like now because no one's really ever kind of gone back mm-hmm. to see it, like is it just left there? And I thought, oh, yeah, 05, now I'm going to go for that Explorer for mine. Uh, mine was 04, um, purely because it's the one that got crushed in the film. <laughs> um, and my, my first one I actually built to do a charity drive down to Spain and back um, and I didn't think it would survive, so hence I put 04 on it. <laughs> Um, but it did survive, and um, someone else in the multiple drives in, eh? So. Yeah, that's good. Brilliant. Um, so what's next to do, if at all? Uh, I think I'm going to have to get the whip antenna from the States. I think that's the very next thing. 
um, which you just can't get in the UK or in Europe because they won't sell them over here. You have to get like a two-part piece, mm -hmm. which I've got one, um, but it just doesn't look right. So it's going to be the whip antenna. I think is the next thing for me. Mm. Mine, it's my my Jeep's to a point where I'm happy with it as it is. But there's two things I need. So it's I mean, depending what order it comes in, it's the winch, which one of our multiple members has got. But because of COVID, we couldn't get it brought in and exchange things like that. And the green carpet. That's the last two things that I want to do, and I would then consider it done. So it's those two things. So uh, the winch technically I've got, yeah, but it's in Manchester, yeah, and the green carpet yeah. is somewhere in the world waiting for me to buy it. For it to go into your Jeep. Mm -hmm. yeah. And mine, I think, is the interior. So the dash and the centre console has to be painted. CV radio, haven't got one of those yet, need to get one of them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not too fussed about my carpet, my carpet's a tan carpet, so I might I might kind of leave that, because I like the contrast, because it matches yeah. like, the trim on the seats, it matches yeah, yeah. Tan, yeah. the other kind mm -hmm. of tan, the, the door panels and stuff like that, so I might leave the carpet, but um, yeah, I want, I want the, 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 the screen accurate dash is next. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. Uh, yeah, for me, um, I've, I've got uh, two black roof bars, which I'm looking to fit and just get the three spotlights in there. As much as I'd love to get the, the bubble roof build, I know that's... <laughs> That's kind of like one of the uh, the big ticket items if you ever to do it for an Explorer, and and of course it was never done for the Mark Twos, um, but I'm happy with you know having it as it is with the, the roof bars and the spotlights, and um, maybe Gary Gary found the wraparound ball bars, what one what one of the types that go with the Mark II, so I'm looking at potentially um, seeing how that would fit on, uh, get it all painted black, get the spotlights on that as well, but other than that, um, just filling it with as many Jurassic Park props as I can when I go to shows. Uh, mine's just going to be interior, I think. Um, I'm quite happy with the outside as it is. I've got the roof lights and the track sensor to go on the front. Um, they're yet to be fitted. Um, but yeah, then it's just the interior, getting the tall movie on the screen, mm, building the wooden nice. case in the centre. That's, yeah. that's, that's the next plan. Okay. Uh, and the next question is to Dan. Mm. Um, um, can you tell us a bit about the motor pool and what it actually involves? Yeah, the motor pool was founded in America um, by a couple of guys and they, they had a love of the Jeeps and they built them and then they sort of thought, we could make a club out of it and slowly but surely more members become, you know, part of the group. Um, it sort of then started to branch out to other countries, sort of a lot in Europe and then there was a couple of guys in England that done them. Um, we, we sort of... We all fell under one banner, which was the motorport, as a worldwide group. But slowly but surely, America being as big as it is in different states, they have different divisions that to incorporate in different states. So we, uh, Richard, who I spoke about earlier, when he left to move in with his wife in America, he left us with a, a UK division, first ever. We used to fall under the European one, um, which we then now wear as we got the badges and the logos and things like that. So it's it's basically a club for people to come together and build vehicles from the movie and go about and show them and you know, go out and have fun in them really. So how many members do we have in the UK? In the UK, the, the division itself has, <clears throat> has got 91 members. Um, out of that, I would say 30 of the 91 members have either got a vehicle that's in a complete state or a work in progress. So it could be they own a vehicle but haven't started to paint it or haven't started to change things. Mm -hmm. 
So I would say roughly around 30, 30, 31 members have got vehicles. Out of the 91 members, that's people that have either got an interest in building a vehicle, just haven't started their journey on that build yet, or, you know, partners of drivers, things like that. So it's, it's quite, it's grown quite quickly. Really. Yeah, yeah. Very, very quickly. And I, and I understand you've got um, something arranged in, like a, um, in, organised in August mm-hmm. for people from the motorpool to come along and members of the public to come yeah, along and enjoy yeah. the cars and vehicles and so on. Um, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, that's, um, it's, it's a chap that I met. He runs um, Who Zoo, which is up in Telford. What's it called, then? Who Zoo. All right. It's not you, Who. No. Who Zoo. You <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he He no. runs that, which is like, it's, it's a zoo come animal sanctuary where people have these exotic pets and okay. they suddenly realise they can't keep them for whatever reason so they they sort of go into the zoo I mean they've had alligators and all sorts of strange things up there um, and he used to run events where they would do like a, a dinosaur type event and he used to invite me along with a jeep and things like that but slowly but surely he's developed his park and he's now brought in I think it's six or seven animatronic life-size dinosaurs wow. and we went up and helped out on the bank holiday the opening weekend for it and we got chatting to him and said, look, this, this place is perfect for what we want as a division. Would you be interested in having us along to display the vehicles, help you bring people into the park and kind of work alongside you? And he, he was really, really up for it. Will, he's, he's so enthusiastic with what he does. And we sort of, a bit of message went back and forwards and I finally said to him, look, would you consider having this as the division's home base as it were yeah. because what better to have the jeep next to a dinosaur you know, and things yeah, like yeah, yeah. which he, he was completely up for so on bank holiday august okay. um hopefully we're going to have the most division members we've ever had in one place at one time and we're going to display the vehicles we're going to have sort of unbuilt vehicles where people can come along and see the process of this is what it looks like when you get it. This is kind of what it goes to. This is what it is when it's finished. Okay. So it's, it's potentially, yeah, you know, a really good day. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so Ben, where can people find out about the um, motorpool? Well, um, like I forgot the name of the zoo earlier. <laughs> um, I also forget the name of all the places people can find out about the motorpool. But I've written them down on this computer screen. <laughs> So on Twitter, if you go to at JPMPUK, on Instagram it's JP Motorpool UK, or on Facebook it's Jurassic Motorpool Park, uh, Jurassic Park, Park Motorpool <laughs> UK Division, and uh, that's where we are. And you can find out about the event in August and all the other things that we're doing and, and, and different members in the group are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you, who is your favourite character in Jurassic, in all of the Jurassic? Uh, for me, I have two, and I, John Hammond, for sure, because he's the visionary, he, he's the guy that put the place together, um, and Nedry, because I just think he's cool. Yeah. I love his Jeep, I like his jacket, I like the way he dies. It's all good, I love <laughs> That's a bit I weird. It, it is a bit weird, but yeah. it's just such a great sequence with him crashing through, knocking the stock sign over, and then getting attacked by the Dilophosaurus, so yeah. it's great. Oh, I don't. I don't. I don't think I have a particularly favourite character, like out of the out of the because they're they're all good in their own way. I 
if it's if it was based on looks, I'd say Claire. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's nice. <laughs> but good, good enough but, reason. But generally, no. I I think they all fit in the, in the spots that they play in the film. I think they all work well. And obviously, you see some of them in the first film. Some come back for the second, then some reappear in the third, and when when the new movie comes out, they're kind of all reappearing. Yeah. So I think it's just a general. I like the film as opposed to an individual character. Mm-hmm. I think it's Ian Malcolm for me. I think mm-hmm. he's he's got a, a, a much more significant role. I think in the novel than the film, but in in the yeah. films, uh, yeah, I think I, I like the fact that he starts kind of not cracking onto Ellie, but trying to kind of investigate what's going on there. He's got more of the funnier lines, I think. Mm. But he's also got the kind of the, the, the moral backstanding of like, what you're doing is actually not right. And he points out a lot of the flaws about the park and, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, the role he plays in the film, I think it'd be very, very different if they if they didn't have a character like Ian Malcolm in there. Uh, mine would be Dr. Alan Grant. Uh, when I first watched it, it was always like, oh, this guy knows what is there. <laughs> if I'm going to be about going around Jurassic Park, then that's the guy I want to go with because he <laughs> yeah. knows how to, how to keep out of trouble. But it's also because um, he has that link between um, the fossils and the live dinosaurs, so you remember that actually, you know, these are extinct animals and this guy's a pro. You know, he knows his stuff about dinosaurs, but for people to actually now see them in real life and in this park, it's that sort of link between two worlds and um, yeah just seeing how his, his character was in that one was always uh, interesting yeah, to me. Uh, mine would have to be John Hammond again. It's, yeah. it's a man trying to follow his dream really. Um, much like me with Night Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trying to uh, yeah, trying to get something established and it's I'm beginning to get more like him every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got the bear just in the white outfit. So what's your favourite JP Dinosaur? Uh, well, it's Dilophosaurus. It's uh, coming back to the Nedry thing, really, that whole sequence, really. When I first watched that in the, in the, the cinema, it just, I mean, it, it scared the pants out of me, to be honest with you, but I just loved it as well. I loved the whole sequence, um, the whole sabotage, and, you know, how it, um, you know, spits in his face, and then he jumps into the Jeep, and you think he's okay, and then all of a sudden the, the rattle comes up, and you know, that's the end of Nedry, so yeah, definitely Dilophosaurus. Mm, I think it'd be the T-Rex. Mm. Yeah. Just just because it's cool and it's it's big and it's in all of them. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's kind of like you've got all the the human characters, that tends to be the the main dinosaur character. Yeah. So I, I think I'd go with the stereotypical T-Rex, I think. I'm, I'm Team Dilophosaurus. Yeah. Same. It was, it was the one, the dinosaur that absolutely... Yeah, amazed me in the cinema. They're just so dramatic with the, the noise and the thrill and, and, and attacking Nedry. And I, I significantly remember being in the cinema and clocking that they'd made it breathe. Yeah. So you can see it's abdomen kind of going in and out when, when you see it. And I was like, oh, it made me breathe. <laughs> that captured it for me in the Dilophosaurus. Uh, mine would be the, the T-Rex as well. I mean, one of my favourite scenes is the uh, that Explorer scene where you know, T-Rex breaks through the, uh, the fence. but. Also, when I was looking at the, the behind the scenes documentaries and footage, like the fact they actually built this thing like mm-hmm. real size animatronic. Yeah. I mean, they just don't do that these days. And there's even a funny bit, bit in the behind the scenes where I think they had it in the studio with the, the rain coming through and it hit some of the electrics. So the team, when everyone was having lunch, the T Rex kind of just kind of started moving by itself. <laughs> it was like, what's going on? Um, but I think the fact that the, the actors in the scenes, like, you know, that could be a real fright there because you're seeing this huge, yeah. real looking T-Rex kind of 
unseen and yeah that, that was um, that always was a magic bit for me squashing an explorer in the film but it's yeah he's still the most dominant yeah. in the whole park I have the um, Dilophosaurus noise come through when you text me, don't I? Yes, you do, yeah. I'm surprised you yeah. said raptors, actually. Yeah. yeah. I quite That's like a raptor. Yeah, I quite like a raptor. Mm. I, I just want to put a shout in for the Spinosaurus as well. Yeah. Because I, I love the Spinosaurus. I know yeah. JP3 gets criticised, but actually I love JP3. And I, when I remember first seeing the Spinosaurus plane attack, and I just thought it was absolutely amazing. And again, they built that, like you were saying, Phil, they built that animatronic. Yeah. And they had to actually so move it by night because it was so huge they didn't want anybody to see it because it was like the new breakthrough dinosaur for the next film. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I just think it's such an awesome thing. It looks, it just looks so cool. So yeah, just a, yeah. a shout out to Spinosaurus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A light vote is cast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. So looking forward then to next June, fast forward, have any of you got any um, plans for um, the Jurassic World Dominion? Don't know really, it depends where we are with like Covid and stuff like that, it would be cool to, I mean what would be really cool is to get all the vehicles together for, uh, you know. Yeah, I would say that's the main. Like a premier. The main main goal for for us as as a division. Have they ever had like a drive-in movie theatre thing as well to show that? Yeah, um, yeah, I'd be like, oh, yeah, we'd all be there. Definitely yeah. loading troops for that one. Yeah, knowing knowing the original cars coming back for that movie mm-hmm. to have the original cars and stuff there. I mean, I don't know how like it would be to say, excuse me, Universal, could we you know, <laughs> drive the people to the premiere in our cars? <laughs> yeah. That would be the dream. That would be oh, yeah, absolutely be cool. yeah. amazing yeah. to be doing that. Yeah, that would be really good, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's play it, play it by ear. See how things in the world are, like yeah. in real life, yeah. as opposed to movie fantasy. But ideally, I'd like all of us to attend a premiere or be involved in a, a screening of it or something along those lines yes. which is which is what we're sort of quietly working on mm. behind yeah. the scenes and what are you looking forward to in dominion um what do you hope to see more clear for me, I, I really hope we get go back to um, Isosauna. I want to go to, to Site B again. Um, I'd like to spend a bit of time there, perhaps go back to the Worker Village and see more of the Worker Village, mm-hmm. um, the Embryonics Lab, places like that. Um, it, it need to be tied into the story mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a realistic way or a good reason for them to be there. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that. Um, that would definitely be be the best best thing I, I can see in the mm. film. I, I think you're not far off the mark because they, if you remember at the end of uh, Fallen Kingdom they, there's mention of another island mm. like an untouched island where no one was so mm. I think the, the dinosaurs would be wandering around and in America and whatnot. And I think they would be incorporated where they moved them off of the mainland and put them back yeah. into their own habitat so it gives it like a happy ending because yeah. you think the first island was destroyed, yeah. essentially, by the volcano. So I, I think it's, it will take it to a point where it, it, hopefully it will wrap it up. I know that sounds bad, but I can't see how you can continue to keep making films on the same sort of thing. Yeah. I think it needs to have a nice ending. So you've got yeah, two trilogies, essentially, mm-hmm. and it finish on like a, a good ending as opposed to dinosaurs just... Have McDonald's in America and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Bit of afraid to kill us, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's nostalgia for me. I think having the original cast back is, is really exciting. Any any way they can tie the original movies kind of back into it. When they did um, Jurassic World, the first one, they go back into the the original uh, visitor center and stuff yeah. like that. That was that was incredible. Um, so yeah, as much nostalgia as they can they mm, can bit. pack in. <laughs> yeah. Please. Uh, along with that, I, I want to see if there's any cool new vehicles <laughs> like uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for the uh, yeah. for the world. Uh, I think there were like some sneak peek pictures of the the um, uh, some new jeeps in there or something. But it's like with uh, when Lost World came out, I was fascinated by those Mercedes and the RV yeah. as well. And um, with Jurassic World, you know, seeing the whole new uh, Jurassic World theme park vehicles. So um, yeah, I just love seeing stuff that are linked to uh, what's in the film. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see if there's anything new as well. Mm-hmm. From the sneak peeks that we've seen, see we know it's going to be mainly based of the dinosaurs coming into America and running a mop around the country, which I think could be quite interesting how they're going to do that. Um, it's I know there's different terrains they're using, obviously snowy mountains, and yeah. so it's, it should be quite interesting, different landscapes as well, mm-hmm. seeing how these dinosaurs are supposed to survive in these conditions. Yeah, it'd be cool seeing them in different environments, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm, definitely. Well, thank you guys for talking to me today about the motor pool and everything Jurassic. Um, where can people follow you and your vehicles online? Uh, I'm at Jurassic Soap B on Instagram and Twitter and, uh, and on the motor pool on Facebook. Mm, I, well, my Jeep is just, the Facebook page is JP20. Uh, and on the main motor pool, we, we post on there as well as the UK division. You can find me. I'm uh, underscore JP.35 on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram at JPEX05UK. And I'm on Instagram, uh, JPExplorer underscore 04. Well, from all of us here on Cloud Island, happy Jurassic June, and back to you, Brad and Tom. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, thank you to Tom again for all of the incredibly hard work for the live stream. I know it's it feels so far in our past now, but I have praised him over and over for all the awesome work, uh, putting, putting a lot of this together, doing all of these interviews, and so much more. Um, yeah, it, it's a really special thing that we could bring all that content to you guys for our live stream and also here on the podcast. So thank you to Tom for conducting some great interviews. And also a huge thank you to Ari, to Tim, to Neems, to Ali, to Jennifer, to uh, Marie, Ashley, Sarah, and also to Ben and Rachel, Dan, Bill, Phil, Gary, (laughs) just so many people in this episode. Thank you so, so much to each and every one of you for joining in, being a part of the live stream, part of the the podcast itself. It really means so much to have all of these awesome people here together uh, in one place. So thank you so much. I hope everybody really enjoyed the content. Um, if you checked out the live stream, you got a little bit of an extra extended edition here, maybe some other content in there that, ne- that necessarily didn't pop up within our live stream. So thank you so much for listening into this one. But that is all I have for you for this episode. I know, I said that's all. That's all I got for you guys. Like, we're, you know, nearly three hours into this one. That's all. That's all I had. Sorry, guys. I I wish I could have made it longer for you. (laughs) 
if you want it to be longer, go check out our live stream, which was like eight hours. All right, so go check that out. But thank you so much for listening to this. Please stay safe out there. Uh, most of all, be kind to everybody you're interacting with. That is the most important thing. Thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to myself for the outro. Thanks, everybody. Saddle up. Let's get this movable feast underway. Be sure to give us a follow over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod, and myself, at Brad Jost. Also on Facebook and Instagram, at Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to join the Jurassic Park Podcast group on Facebook. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So be sure to follow along. Also, don't miss our live streams, toy hunts, reviews, in-depth bonus content, gameplay, event and theme park coverage, and much more on our YouTube channel. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read your reviews at the end of most episodes, so be sure to spare no expense. Find us on the web at JurassicParkPodcast.com where you'll find today's episode's show notes, articles, contributor bios, and so much more. If you want to get a hold of us, you can fill out the contact form on our website or send emails to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. We're always looking for new segments, contributors, mailbag submissions, or anybody who just wants to say hello. Feel free to call our voicemail line at any time to leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Make sure to be kind to everybody and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.